This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Magnin. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoblé. And what's our topic for this 150th episode? For our 150th episode, we will be talking and reviewing Google Stadia. Awesome. Uh, but first, we have some follow-up. Uh, so there's going to be a new page on our website uh, to celebrate episode 150. Uh, I've been thinking about this for quite a while. In fact, I kind of sort of wanted it to come out for episode 100, but I forgot. Uh, so uh, we're putting up a new about subscribe page on the uh, website, which is going to feature a short pitch of what the podcast is, a list of recommended episodes for our new listeners, and an improved list of subscription links for various podcast apps. Uh, so go look at limitlesspossibility.net uh, by the time this episode is up, and you should see it there on the sidebar, uh, replacing the existing subscription links. And also, uh, throughout the years, we've had people mentioning, like, why are you not on this service, on that service? And this page contains a bit of our opinion and explanation on why we are on some services and why we're not on other services. Uh, Next up is a follow-up for episode 149, which is our last episode about next-gen consoles. Uh, I wanted to bring up this story on Vice uh, about the rationale around activities, which we didn't really discuss uh, during the last episode, which is like the front and center dashboard feature for the PS5 that allows you to jump to a specific unit unit of the game. Uh, and there's an estimated length uh, listed there. Uh, and it's sort of like a checklist of things you can do within the game. Uh, and basically the overview of that feature is that it targets a specific demographic of time-constrained players who have some level of uncertainty about whether or not the game that they're interested in playing is a good fit for how much free time they have on their hands at that moment. Uh, so you can find a link to that uh, article in the show notes. I thought it was really interesting, but at the same time, part of me thinks that this encourages a certain type of game design that is not necessarily a good fit for all games. Um, but yeah, you, you can go read the article and make up your own mind about that. It's funny because you linked to it uh, a couple of days after I bought the 2018 Marvel's uh, Spider-Man, which I'm playing through it as we speak. Uh, and it was funny because uh, usually when I, long story short, when I try to play a like RPG with an open world element, I kind of try to progress on the main campaign while also doing a couple of small things on side quests or just side missions or just random things. And it feels to me that for some occasions where it's like maybe after dinner and I need to either like go back on like life, uh, this would really f- allow me to either do a couple of side quests, uh, maybe do one quest part of the main campaign and then go on with my life and not forced to travel, like especially with Spider-Man travel in New York for five minutes to go to your next point. Uh, so I'm eager to see what it will, how it will transform open world games with a lot of side quests for uh, for that. And it was really interesting to see uh, because Sony and uh, Sony kind of talked about this, but now that people had the time to experience it in a game like Spider-Man Miles Morales, uh, it is quite interesting to see what people and app, uh, I'm sorry, app developers, game developers can do with such a feature. Uh, on the last episode, we also made fun of Xbox for mostly having cross-gen games as their launch lineup. Uh, but I forgot to mention that actually a lot of Sony's big PS5 titles that are announced right now are also technically cross-gen. Uh, this includes Spider-Man Miles Morales and uh, Horizon 2, which is announced for next year's release. Um, and that sort of brings up the question, like, why are PS5 
titles that are cross-gen so much more visually impressive than the ones on Xbox if Xbox has the better hardware. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention on that episode is there were rumors that the Xbox Series SDK launch SDK was not fully able to take advantage of the hardware. Like something went wrong with the SDK that Microsoft was developing and they just didn't ship one that was fully capable on time. So launch games are pretty lacking. And maybe that's even partly why uh, Halo Infinite looked so bad. Although I think there are other issues with regards to that. Um, So (laughs) I found that interesting. And talking about the SDK, a friend of mine has access to an SDK uh, and gave me some interesting information about how the DualSense haptics differs from the vibration setup in previous controllers. Um, Previous controllers had about like 150 millisecond delay or something uh, between the time that you sent uh, vibration info and the time that it vibrates. Uh, whereas DualSense haptics are treated like an audio device. And this is very similar to how the Taptic engine works in Apple devices. And it's also like, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's strictly speaking another channel of the uh, onboard speaker, but you can basically sync audio with the speaker that is in the controller to the uh, haptics. So you have like much more immersion and much less of an impression that your audio and your vibration are out of sync. Uh, than with traditional uh, vibration. So I, I thought that was really interesting from a technical standpoint, so I wanted to bring it up on the show. I do wonder if, um, in the end, Apple and Sony might be using the same or somewhat familiar supplier that provides those parts, because the more we learn about them, the more we feel it's literally the Taptic, the Taptic engine inside a Sony controller, which is really, really nice. I think there's more fine grain detail on the dual sense of course like i say this having never hold, held the thing so who knows but like from everything i've heard like there's way more that is possible to do with the dual sense than with uh the taptic engine in the phone but maybe it's just like they have an array of like eight of them in the controller or something and it's just the same part it's just they have more than one of them i don't know uh we'll have to find out later i haven't seen a teardown of the controller but i have to assume there probably is one um but i guess i'll check that out and maybe report later uh next up is a uh, some follow-up for episode 141, although this is not specifically regarding to the content of episode 141. That was the episode we did about your name. Uh, and Dukadev, you mm. mentioned uh, some some weird Japanese sexual content stuff uh, that took place in one of the scenes. And uh, interestingly, Beyond Ghibli, which I recommended as a YouTube channel on a previous episode, uh, had a really great 40-minute video essay on sexual content in anime and Japanese pop culture called Degenerate that I highly recommend to people who would like to understand more about it. Uh, So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, another uh, video recommendation with regards to episode 137 on VTubers. Uh, This week, there was a new video essay by Mother's Basement, which is a Canadian anime YouTuber, uh, called The Magic of VTubers that Richard recommended to me, uh, which is a very good overview of what the VTuber phenomenon is like now uh, post-Hololive English, which was the whole new first generation of English VTubers from the Hololive group. Uh, So that is also very interesting if you're interested in that. And then the last YouTube recommendation uh, for episode 131, which was about cooking, uh, Claire Saffitz, formerly of Bon Appetit, launched her new independent YouTube channel uh, this week called Dessert Person. 
Uh, it features a bunch of people who are also formerly from VA, so it looks very <laughs> familiar in uh, editing style. Uh, the cameraman is literally Vincent Cross or Vinny from the first season of It's Alive. Uh, so yeah, you can go check that out. It's The first episode is about making focaccia, and it is going to make you drool. So <laughs> highly recommended. Uh, some Battle Royale follow-up for episode 110. Uh, I am playing a lot of Apex Legends. <laughs> yes, you are. You, you... I played 40 games this week. <laughs> wow. I think every night this week you've sent me a tweet saying, hey, here's what happened, or here I won a game, which is really nice. I've played 40 games. I won three times. I've had top five seven times. Uh, it's a ton of fun, uh, mostly because I was curious to check out two things. Uh, there have been a lot of gameplay changes in the last year. Uh, there's a new mm. map called Olympus, which launched with the current season, which is absolutely amazing. It's maybe one of my favorite maps in any first-person shooter ever. Uh, and there's crossplay support now, so I wanted to try that out, and it's working pretty great. Um, and the other thing is there is a Winter Express holiday event that started on the 1st of December and ends in early January, uh, which is a game mode that revolves around a train. So naturally, I wanted to play it. Yep. <laughs> so that was great. Uh, so uh, all of this is to say I highly recommend revisiting Apex Legends again if you haven't recently or if you've never played it before. Go check it out. It is free to play because it's even better than it was at launch and it was pretty good at launch but like i i think at launch you could get into it if you were sort of on board with the idea of uh battle royale games now i just think it's a fantastic game for everyone and it's really interesting and maybe we'll talk about it more not on the game of the year episode because it's too recent for me to start talking about it for this year <laughs> but i was about to say are you trying to break your own rule for game no, no, of the no. year okay i was surprised but we might talk about it on an episode next year i don't know yeah, and uh, something I forgot to ask you because I was busy preparing for this episode uh, this week, but maybe in the next few days or weeks, we should uh, maybe uh, schedule some time and you and I go play uh, Apex Legends uh, because uh, what you've been telling me throughout the week is kind of quite interesting and I would like to revisit Apex Legend. It's pretty damn good. Okay, last piece of follow-up and then we can get into this actually meaty episode. Uh Funnily enough, I was re-listening to uh, our last Milestone episode, which was episode 100 this week, and mm. I listened to things that I said about the MacBook Air, including, I don't think Apple will ever be able to recreate the aberration of value that was the second-gen MacBook Air. Well, now I look pretty <laughs> fucking stupid, right? Because knowing what we do about the M1 Max, they're faster than every Intel Mac that was sold below $5,000 before, and even some of the ones that were sold above that. So it's kind of interesting there's a whole section of the episode that i didn't remember that was about our max in theory that actually aged pretty well so if you want some uh funny our mac um predictions from us that largely did okay uh oh, okay i i didn't really listen to it but maybe i should if we did okay i had completely forgotten that like half an hour of that episode was talking about our max for some reason but it's there and it's really funny uh, i was actually listening to it because uh i was talking about retro max with richard and uh we were talking about a bunch of stuff and i was like oh yeah i should go listen to what i said about this mac on the episode and yeah it was really funny i'm, I'm about halfway through it i started listening to it last night and it was pretty funny uh so if you want to go back and listen to it it's pretty funny all right that's it for my follow-up now we can get into the main topic 
good. Again, this is one of other uh, one of those episodes in recent years where we could say sponsored by Google because it's kind of literally is, but we're paying our own money to pay for YouTube Premium. But again, uh, thanks to YouTube Premium, uh, Yannick and I are able to review Google Stadia. Uh, we'll see more details. We could have done that earlier, but with this year's YouTube Premium uh, kind of holiday special or holiday uh, freebies, uh, you could get a free month or no, it's not you get a free month because uh, you get always can get a free month of Studio Pro as a trial period. But if you decide to do that and that you are a YouTube Premium users, you also get a Stadia Premiere Edition. So, and related for us being both YouTube premium subscribers and also quite curious about this new trend in video game services we for sure decided to jump on the deal and i think we can say in this episode that it is sold out like worldwide at this point uh, this deal is like completely done because all the stocks went uh, quite quick even in canada which was the last update we gave to you all uh, two weeks ago so yes, it is sold out and uh, way, way faster than the Nest Mini promo. Uh, again, we still haven't heard if like the Nest Mini, they will come back. Finger crossed from the people that didn't, uh, were not able to uh, jump on it. I do hope that they will do it. But it seems that uh, it was sold out in about two or three days compared to what they done with the Nest Mini. The thing I would say, though, is that like the Nest Mini is an ongoing product in their lineup. Way, which means they are going to have a ton of stock of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Stadia Premier Edition is one of many Stadia bundles. And this is the one, like the, it's not the Founders Edition, which was the one that they did before launch. This right. is the one after launch. And like by all intents and purposes, it's clear that they're clearing out inventory for the next bundle, which is probably going to come out soon. So Mm. that's probably why it sold out so quickly because they just have a finite amount of them. And they've said like, they're going to be revising these bundles on a regular basis. So it would not be surprising at all. If like in a month from now, there's a new bundle or something, or I think GDC is usually in March or something. So like, that's usually when Stadia does their big announcements for the year. So yeah, I would yeah. not be surprised if in March there's a new. Although GDC, what the hell is GDC in COVID? But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll have to see then. Uh, but no, for sure, I agree with you. It did felt like we have a shit ton of them that nobody bought in inventory, and we need to clear it out. So let's give it for free. Again, another reason to maybe become a YouTube a premium subscriber. You remove ads in YouTube, and for if we base ourselves on past history, and of course. Pastor is a pastor is not a, uh, a, a like a I forgot the exact code they say like about like a stocks and that but the, you cannot bet that it will happen next year because who knows what will happen next year but I think their track record in the past two two years for that is quite good that you get YouTube Premium and you can subsidize it by getting more or less free hardware uh, either during the holiday season or throughout the year as what happened with the Nest Mini. Uh, we do have to start with a sad note regarding that because Yannick and I are, are still awaiting our <laughs> premiere edition. Um, we've even delayed our recording dates as usual. So we're recording two or three days, at, no, three days after we usually do. We record on usually Thursday night and now it's Saturday. So we're really, really at the end of what we usually do to deploy an episode on Sundays. Uh, but in the end, uh, we should receive it 
more or less throughout the next week after this episode gets out. So I guess maybe you'll see some tweets on them, but for sure, uh, expect follow-up about the premiere edition in future episodes uh, because sadly... Uh, we didn't we didn't have time to review it and i think uh, personally for me i'm quite excited because there's features that we'll talk later that you couldn't enjoy uh that with this hardware you can good so let's jump into our first section for this episode and i want to revisit the service history because literally the service launched a year and two weeks ago. So it's a good moment to do a Stadia episode because uh, a lot have happened in the last couple of weeks, mainly because the service launched on, the, launched on November 19, 2019. And for its first year, um, there, Google kind of did a bit of a press tour. And uh, I will have a link in the show notes. It is from uh, Mobile Syrup, a kind of a tech. It was usually kind of like... Like cell phone, mobile focus, uh, Canadian blog, but they do a lot of tech too. And they had an interview with Jack Buser, I guess would be how you pronounce it, the Stadia's director of games. So I will put a link in the show note of the whole interview that I have on that on mobile syrup. But one point I would like to mention, which will bring me to the past year of history with, uh, with Stadia is that Throughout the interview, uh, Mr. Buser was pretty clear, making it clear that they know that entering the video games market is an art endeavor, but they are here for the long run and they are willing to power through that phase. And the reason, what we'll have to see in the next few years, how this statement is true and not just marketing bullshit and PR bullshit, but... The main reason I bring this up is if we recall correctly, last year and even in the first three months, the reception of the service was quite bad. It started with rollout issues about the uh, Stadia Founders Edition that we just discussed to a general lack of games in this platform meant that people were pretty vocal in the last year about what they like or don't like about Stadia. And if you recall, since we start to... Um, Look and especially Yannick started to look at those streaming services. It also became a running gag on this show because uh, Yannick was giving us in follow-ups the fact that a it's been what a month we haven't heard any news from Google <laughs> about what's happening with Stadia. Oh, it's been two months and three months. Uh, but Yannick, I want you to go into a bit more details into what was the main issues. Like I, I've. We were talking about this a bit in the pre-show, and from the general level I see on video games news, it was those points, but we all know that it's a bit different when you are in uh, having friends or you just like follow uh, video games news more uh, thoroughly than I do. Uh, so I would just want to ex- for you to expand on why was the service so rich, uh, so bad at its reception? Well, there, there's multiple things. Like the first thing is... is- the Stadia team has this bad habit of jumping into headfirst into PR crises, uh, where they will say something completely stupid and not either not realize it's completely stupid or not be prepared for the audience reaction at all. And then they sort of seem completely incompetent at what they're doing in terms of communication, which is weird considering the actual people who are behind the Stadia project at Google. Like a lot of the people at 
uh, at Google behind Stadia are longtime gaming industry executives who have done a lot of impressive things, like Jade Raymond, who used to be at Ubisoft. Um, a good example is Mr. Buser. He was really mentioning multiple times in this interview with MobileSera, but you know, I have 20 years experience in the video game industry. So, and then that was like, he says that and they ask kind of some PR bullshit after this statement, which was quite <laughs> funny. Uh, but yeah, that was men- mentioned multiple times throughout this uh, written interview. I think on episode 129, where we briefly talked about Stadia shortly after launch, I had also mentioned that like... Uh, I think his name is Phil Harrison, like basically a guy who had 20 years of experience at Sony uh, on the PlayStation team is basically the spokesperson for Stadia. Like these people do not seem like the kind of people who would put their names behind a project that would have zero potential of doing anything. Mm-hmm. And yet their messaging is complete shit. And sometimes that employees say things that are completely incoherent with the mission of Stadia in public, and it looks bad. Like, I think that interview mentions uh, the guy who used to work on Assassin's Creed 3 that tweeted, oh, streamers should have to pay to actually Mm. uh, stream the games that they're doing because they're just freely benefiting off the works of other game devs. And, like, I think there is some legitimate uh, debate to be had about whether Twitch streaming, like, legitimately should be allowed to freely use uh, games as their basic, like, the the environment for, like, you're basically generating content off of someone else's content. Like, it's derivative content. I think it's transformative content, so it's fair use to some degree. But there's a debate to be had about that because the laws are shit and they're, it's all in a gray area. But Yeah, I I think you could say today if Twitch was people transforming movie content or TV series content and then more or less freely streaming it while having what they do, that would have a different reaction from the movie and TV industry. And uh, well, I think- right, right now, the mu- music industry is freaking out about Twitch. Like, I don't know if you've been keeping up with this news, but uh, for the last month, there has been, like, this crazy amount of DMCA strikes from the music industry to Twitch streamers that play music in the background of their streams. And... It is absolutely insane. In fact, like this week, one of the funny things is Twitch introduced a new feature and OBS uh, quickly patched in support for this feature where uh, they send DMCA requests on your replays of your streams. Now you can send separate audio for your replays and for the live stream. So they have to strike it while you're live and a DMCA strike has a certain window in which you have to adhere to it. So if your stream isn't as long as the period, they can't really do anything to you while you're live. Um, which is weird, uh, but like that's the workaround. But like anyway, the, the whole Twitch DMCA situation is a mess right now, and it's kind of related to that. But all that that to say, like having a high-profile Stadia director of, I think it's like creative director or something of Stadia, was saying this publicly on Twitter, and it's like, well, you know, your business model is basically just streaming games, and that maybe you shouldn't be shooting everyone who streams games for a living in the foot, especially when Stadia has features that allow you to stream games, and there, <laughs> and like it, that's just one of the PR disasters that they found themselves in, but there have been multiple, and like. I think that hurts the confidence of gamers in the service. The other thing is just like gamers don't want cloud gaming and it's 
I think, well, hardcore gamers don't want cloud gaming in general because everyone is really attached to this notion of I buy a game on a disc and I own the game. I buy the game on PlayStation Network and I feel like I own the game. You don't really, but everyone seems to be fine with it. Uh, and like, you can get into the whole hypocrisy of like, oh, well, everyone uses Steam for everything as Steam is a monopoly and you, all of your games are tied to your Steam account and all of that shit. Like, people are fine with digital purchases, but they are not fine with digital purchases that are dependent on the existence of a service to actually be playable. And the entire idea of, well, if my connection isn't good enough, I can't play these games that I paid $80 for is kind of shitty. Because what if you, like me, move and then your internet sort of goes to hell? Uh Luckily, like, we seem to have figured out that it wasn't the move that was the problem. It was the modem I got after the move that was the problem. So that's safe. But, uh, like, I know people who have moved to shitty places with really terrible internet. And, like, then your game library, if all you own are Stadia games, just stops existing. And that sucks. And I get it. And I think that limits the appeal of it for people who just have the habit of having a ton of games. If you only play like maybe one game a year and you don't replay your games, like maybe you're fine with that. And that's why I think maybe Stadia is better suited for a more casual audience in some way. But hardcore gamers fucking hate the idea of cloud gaming and it's not Stadia specific, but having a high profile player like Google come in and try to make this a thing feels like a threat to the rest of the gaming industry. And I think that's sort of what the mainstream hardcore gamer panic around Stadia really boils down to. It's good because uh, then I'm happy that you have added those details because it directly fits to some of the opinions I do have with service. Even if I don't consider myself a hardcore gamer, we'll see throughout this episode that some of the points you've mentioned is some of the interrogations I have about the service. Because if we transition away from the history and we look at the spec sheet of what the service allows you, as you mentioned, cloud-based, in theory, if you have the proper equipment and a good internet connection, allow you to play games at 4K 60fps uh, if you spec, uh, respect specific criteria, which we'll go into in just a bit. But it should give you the experience of owning hardware in your own home without owning too much hardware or having a hard investment like we've discussed in the past episode about how expensive the new consoles are so if you want to enjoy the, the like the launch titles and stuff like that you would need to spend a lot of money whereas with stadia you can just buy a hundred dollar controller not pay for a subscription service buy the same 80 dollar game and then have 4k 60 fps if you already have the tv and all that fun stuff which that i think is promising but again to have uh, all those features you need us to hit specific criteria so first uh, to go 4k you need to be a paying member so you need to subscribe to stadia pro uh, and how much is stadia pro is 99 per month usd or 11.99 canadian dollars uh, per month so it's i would say it's not cheap but if you want to enjoy that you do really need to play somewhat of a lot of games every month to enjoy that I guess, subscription service. So let's say you want to play uh, a new game that you bought and you want to enjoy it in 4K. You could play for pay for the month that you need uh, to play this game and then cancel it and do that a couple of times in the year. But overall, you st- 
if you do play games every month, you'll need to keep the subscription if you want to enjoy 4K. Uh, the other part is you also need to run Stadia either on the uh, Google Chrome Ultra, which gives you 4K, or on a Windows or Chromebook device that is capable of VP9 decoding. And that's the fun part is because Yannick and I didn't receive our Chromebook Ultra as part of the Premier Edition package and that Macs are not... It's weird. Some <laughs> Macs are capable of VP9 decoding, but according to... Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes of the support document from Google. Uh, they do mention a Windows or Chromebook device capable of VP9 decoding. So I guess Go- it excludes Google Mac. Chrome plays VP9 on on every Mac. Like That is not the problem. It's just for some reason the Mac isn't supported. Yeah, but again, like the the in this link out, it is the support page. They also show you where VP9 in, and my work laptop, which is the best computer I have right now, is not capable of VP9 decoding. So that's weird. Also, because, just to clarify, because you messed up the word twice, uh, Chromecast Ultra is what we were talking about earlier. You said Google Chrome Ultra and then Chromebook Ultra, and neither of those wow. is the thing you were trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I guess it's like you with uh, the Series X and all that fun stuff last week, but you're correct. The uh, Chromecast Ultra uh, is what you receive in uh, the Premiere Edition. And last but not least, because it's a cloud service, you do need a fast internet connection. So at minimum, Google recommends 10 megabits per second down, uh, but that will give you maybe 720p, possibly 1080, but it's the minimum. For sure, the minimum for 4K gameplay is 35 uh, megabits per second. And on top of those like connection requirement, it is more or less assumed that you need to have unlimited internet bandwidth because for 4K bank, for 4K gameplay, you should assume that it will consum- consume as much as 20 gigs per hour. Yep. So that's quite heavy. And the minimum they tell you is also uh, 4.5 gigs per hour when using 720. So that's the feature more or less. Like, uh, I won't go into exactly what is the configuration that you have in the cloud because A, I'm suck at like PC configuration. You can find it quickly. But from my understanding of things, it is a good PC configuration, which allows you to run a lot of powerful GPU functionality of video games. Though, because it is built on top of more or less Google Cloud Platform uh, and its data centers, uh, Stadia is allowing developers to optimize their game for Stadia and offer different functionality. I think for AI, they're saying like, you know, we can like run that on our uh, on the data centers and it will be way faster than having just a beefy GPU because GCP. But like the same asterisk applies here as all of the talk that Microsoft did about Azure when they launched the Xbox One nobody used it like uh i think forza is the only game that actually used anything related to azure anywhere no wait it was forza and uh crackdown 3 which took like Mm. seven years to launch because they couldn't get it to work right so i mean like that that gives you an idea of how important these features are i think right now only one game does anything actually specific to stadia in the entire library 
Right. I, I recall, I forgot to take note of which one it was because, again, I didn't really care too much because it's so limited, the games that do that, but there are SARM uh, that... Either they launch exclusively at first, there was kind of an exclusive launch in Stadia, and then they went cross-platform maybe a month after. Uh, but I recall seeing a game or two that said, oh yeah, they those use like the data center, that's why they're better. One thing that is also important compared to others uh, is Stadia is available right now in 14 countries, which is mainly North America and some U- European countries. So whether you're in Japan, for example, or stuff, uh, that is not available to you so uh, for most i would say for most of our listeners uh this is a a service that is available if you're listening to us from uh north america or some the main big european countries and i think Uh, i've mentioned it in the past but uh stadia is actually getting very good pr in japan because they actually have good internet connections and good mobile uh broadband so they are actually pretty excited about it Uh, i don't know how high the the usages but there was a lot of excitement surrounding it it's weird though because from the support document from stadia japan is not in the list stadia is out in japan okay then the support document is wrong because uh, they mentioned 14 countries and i can tell you i have the list in front of me and japan is not part of that list are you sure it's just not 4k or something I don't know, but I can tell you right now, Stadia availability and requirements, I won't go through the list, but it's mostly North America, United Kingdom, and European countries uh, here, like France, Italy. That is strange. Okay, I'll I'll do some research and I'll come back on next episode. (laughs) Right, because this is, I agree with you, quite weird. Uh, Because I would have assumed that it would have launched in Japan, but... I thought it was a December launch last year for Japan, so that's why I'm very surprised. Okay, so stay tuned. Uh, but again, right now, according to the list I found on support.google.com, uh, Japan is not there, so I'm interested. Uh, the main difference, and we'll go, like, right after that, we'll go into the competition, but the main temple feature of Stadia compared to all the other streaming services, gaming streaming services that we have today is Stadia is becoming its own platform. Google is going to offer, like, Stadia optimized APIs or Stadia specific APIs for game developers to enhance their video games, which in return means that you do need to buy Stadia optimized version of not optimized, but Stadia, yeah, let's call it this way Stadia optimized version of such video games inside the Stadia store. For sure, if we go back to the, the, the subscription service, Stadia Pro, it gives you access to some games, but I think it's like 20 games, not even. So it is assumed that, yes, as long as you keep your subscription up, you have access to those games. But if you want to fully enjoy Stadia, you need to buy some games. To be honest, I was surprised because last year when I checked around the time of launch, there were two games that were free with Pro, and I was just like Destiny, which was kind of technically free to play to begin with. And mm-hmm. uh, like I think Samurai Showdown was free at that time. I don't think it is anymore. Um, so it was just like, oh yay i can play two games for free if i pay for pro and play them in 4k if my connection allows it and it's just like this terrible deal and now at least it feels a little bit more worth it although i can't say much of the free games excited me that much i would agree with you here i um i played some and i think i will go through this i don't want to talk specifically about the games part of the i really want to focus on the service but i played a couple of games um, one of which we will conclude this episode with, with, 
but uh, I realized that some of the games I was interested in the Stadia Pro subscription were games I got for free part of PSN Plus. Uh, I think Itman I already have some expansion of it. I know this is kind of a, a game that grew every year too. Uh, I played uh, Super Sniper Elite for Super Elite, something weird, a weird gun game. Isn't that uh, a phone game? <laughs> I think there's a phone equivalent, but I, I've seen it on the PSN and I've played it a bit. I played maybe like five hours and got bored, so I just stopped playing. Uh, uh, Celeste? Celeste? Celeste, yeah. Celeste, yes. Uh, I haven't played it, but I did it in my library. And hopefully I'll try to play it a bit before the uh, end of my first month trial. Um, but uh, I've also realized that I got it for free on PSN. So what you currently have on uh, Stadia Pro, you could already have it. After, I would have to look if you're more of an Xbox gamer, if you do have access access to it to Game Pass from those games. But as a PlayStation video gamer, uh, if you've been on PSN Plus for a long while, those games, got you got them for free at some point in the past, which I felt that I was a bit disappointed by that. Um, and again, just for me to try, I didn't want to spend money on buying a game there. And But I'll, I don't want to say why just yet, but I felt, again... I was happy that there was some games to try and also games that I've heard that I wished I kind of wanted to try, but they were make more or less in like kind of my second level list, not on the like my top my top list, but they were a good excuse right now to try Stadia. But to go back, again you have those lists, and then if you want to play anything else, and I think uh, when you hear this episode, the big, big, big game is uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Assuming it doesn't get delayed at the last minute while we record this. <laughs> yes, it's supposed to launch on December 7th, uh, I think at like 7 p.m. Eastern time, something like that. I mean, uh, people have already gotten their physical copies in the thing so i think it's right <laughs> no i would have assumed that you know what like it's out but it's, out, it's a, the next big launch on stadia also on other consoles but like games like these you need to buy them so that's mainly uh the feature section anything you want to add before we move to the competition uh yeah um there was a lot in the original uh, pitch for Stadia with regards to YouTube integration. Uh, the idea being, if you're watching YouTube and you see an ad for a game, you could click on the oh, ad yeah. for the game and immediately start playing the demo. Uh, I believe they are currently doing this for the very first time with um, the not Breath of the Wild game. Uh, Immortals, Phoenix Rising, something like that. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, a, it's a Ubisoft game that is inspired by Breath of the Wild or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh everyone says that but i don't actually think it's true um but yeah so they're running ads on youtube and you can click on it and you can go play the demo in stadia right away if you launch the stadia app there's a big banner at the top that says go try the demo uh, i haven't tried the demo but they're doing that uh there was I'm sorry for the interruption, but I think in the US they're also giving like coupon codes. I've seen a promotion to that. If you follow them on Twitter, stuff like that, or social media, I've seen it on Twitter, but uh, that you could get like there's a draw and you could get a coupon code to get the game for free on Stadia. Yeah, I guess we didn't mention it, but Ubisoft is a big launch partner for Stadia. They've been highly present in like even the alpha testing stages of uh, stuff by giving like Assassin's Creed as the test game from much of this. Uh, So they're pretty present in Stadia marketing to begin with. Um, 
So yeah, that was happening. And then there was the whole streamer integration part of things where uh, I think the example they gave is you're watching a streamer play NBA, whatever. And they were like, oh, well, we're going to play with viewers uh, just by clicking a flag because they're streaming with Stadia. They could say, okay, my room is open for uh, viewers. And then there's a link right on the YouTube page where you can just go straight into the queue for that game. Whereas right now, if you watch like VTubers or whatever, uh, often they're playing on Switch or whatever, and they're like, oh, join my Mario Kart lobby. And then there's a giant number you have to type at the bottom of the screen into your Switch. So you actually join the right room. Same thing for Tetris 99 and uh, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Uh, so simplifying that experience, like at the same time, I think, uh, the streaming support on Stadia is maybe a little bit too limited for anyone who makes their money streaming to actually want to use it, which means they're never going to see that kind of integration. And the other thing is you're only streaming on YouTube. You're not going to be streaming on Twitch, which unfortunately Twitch is where the people are. So you're not really going to use this at all. Yeah, it's a good point. I... It reminds me that uh, two weeks ago, we talked privately that I uh, had to uh, put my uh, phone number uh, into my YouTube account to enable uh, live streaming of games because it seems that now on YouTube, you need to have some, like some feature are hidden behind like personal information like PII, which I don't know, understand why, but that's life. Uh, but in the end, I never really tried it. And I correct me if I'm wrong, like the integration that you mentioned with youtube uh, and then you click on the link like this is about to start like or the example of the game from ubisoft is the first game because if we had done this episode maybe a month or so ago we would have said this is still missing in action and just being promised since last year i i think the like the play the demo thing in the ads yeah it's the first time they've actually used this i think a lot of the streamer integration stuff just doesn't exist because none of the games support it uh mm. or i either that or the api doesn't exist i mean i i don't know because i'm not a developer for a stadia game uh but it just doesn't seem to be a thing right now interesting uh two points that makes for a good segue into our competition you mentioned a ubisoft and b twitch um and <laughs> one of the big competitors or future competitors i should say is amazon luna uh, so I, I, we will talk about Amazon Luna just a bit later, but first I want to quickly, uh, go through the current competitors, uh, that in the Canadian market you have access. And also we'll talk about Luna because it's, I think, the kind of equivalent of what uh, Google is trying to do. What is super interesting with those competitors is they all have kind of same concept. You stream videos, but, uh, you uh they do apply it in a different way so yeah so they all have a different approach and i would like to start with xbox game pass cloud gaming first because we talked a bit we talked in great length into about it in the past episode when we were talking about the xbox series console so i don't want to really go into too much details but the idea is the game pass cloud gaming that is currently still in beta uh fits into the category of yes you have cloud gaming but it is more for uh, you pay a monthly fee and you have access to a specific set of games uh, and we'll see we do we have those type of services that are support that do video games cloud streaming and we have the other ones where it's either you do buy the games like Stadia or 
the other one that is close to Stadia but not exactly likely like it is uh, Nvidia GeForce Now, which is you bring your own catalog of games to that service. So again, quick reminder, uh, $16.99 Canadian dollars, which gives you access to more or less all the Microsoft Studio games and a great, a generous back catalog of Xbox original games and 360 games. And uh, you can play all of the games that you own digitally on your Xbox account on xCloud. They don't have to be Game Pass games. Oh, okay. That's that's something I didn't know. So it it does mean that all the Xbox One games that you have bought in the past. The experience is literally the same as if you buy a new Xbox and you log into your Xbox account on that Xbox because that's effectively what it is. Okay, so this it's funny because it does mean that it makes Game Pass Cloud Gaming in the intersection between those two models I'm trying to bring where we have on one extreme, which I think sony's offering is literally that playstation are the netflix equivalent of video games streaming gaming uh, because with playstation now you have access to 800 games uh, most of them they are like set in stone those are the games you do have some games that are available for a limited period i think one example i was looking at is itman uh, that i've played on stadia uh, it is available, I think, until early January. For I, I would be wouldn't be surprised. Maybe the latest expansion, something like that. I didn't look into those details, um, but limited set of the games that you have access by paying a subscription fee every month, which is nine ninety nine or twelve ninety nine. Uh, it's funny because this service is uh, EU, NA, and Japan, so it covers a lot of of the world. And last but not least, one feature I do like is. Even if you have a shitty internet connection, like Netflix, you can download the games. They don't; they are not required to be streamed and use the uh, the OnLive. Is that OnLive that they bought uh, no. a while back? No, it's Gaikai. Gaikai, yes. I forgot which one is which one they bought, but yes, either you use their tech and it's stream, or it is downloaded. Which I like this hybrid approach, where if you have a good internet connection, you can stream. But if you want to enjoy, possibly. Uh, having maybe you have flaky internet or you want to like just download it you can also do that it's not all games though um so ps3 games can only be streamed because they have to run on a ps3 somewhere in the cloud so that is Mm -hmm. out of the question and not all ps4 games are supported for downloads because some developers signed their deals with ps now before that was a thing and have not re-signed since Mm. And what about PS2 games? Because I also saw that there was PS2 games. Uh, PS2 games are technically PS4 games running in an emulation shell, so they are fine for download, oh, okay. I think. So then, so on that extreme, you have PlayStation Now. Uh, then after, you would have you will have Xbox Game Pass Cloud that we just discussed, which you have access to a limited pool of games plus the games you've bought. Um you do have uh, it, it does bring us to the third competitors, which is Amazon Luna, which is a bit like that. Uh, I don't, it's uh, a bit of an approach. I don't think, I don't think it's it's unclear if they have a store we can buy dedicated Luna games, or it's just that we provide you with a bunch of games, uh, a bunch of games you can do or can can play a la Netflix. Sadly for me, I would really, really wish I could try it, but it is US only. Um, of course, it has a direct integration with Twitch, which would have been uber stupid if Amazon didn't do that, knowing that they own also Twitch. But it's good to see that they, like, from the get-go, uh, you do that. 
It is quite cheap, 599 USD for Luna Plus, which gives you uh, more uh, bandwidth. I think it's like it gives you the two devices at a time. It will also give you 4K when it's out because it's not out yet. It's just 1080p 60fps. And also you can have this additional uh, extra subscription that Yannick mentioned in previous episode, uh, Ubisoft Plus, which is kind of the Apple TV Plus channel equivalent where uh, you can pay 1499 USD to get a shit ton of Ubisoft games. Uh, so from what we can see with Amazon and even Google, it seems that Ubisoft is a big player into cloud streaming of video games. It, it, I don't know if it's because they, they see the potential or they want to be there if it becomes big. So they're already there and they don't have to play catch up uh, or they're already like partners. I'm eager to see what's there uh, because even if we love to make fun of Ubisoft games on this episode, on this podcast, uh, they are a big producer of game and a lot of people would enjoy the game. So for them to be there, it could mean for either Amazon and Google bring out a lot of players possibly. Real-time follow-up, Luna does not have a store. It's all a subscription library. Okay, so if I go in my if in my timeline of, not timeline, but in my scale of things, uh, PlayStation Now and Luna would be in the same bucket. The main difference between those two would be the freshness of the game. Like with PlayStation Now, you expect it's possibly like AAA titles from a couple of years back if they're available or like not AAA games. Uh, from the the past few years uh, i would expect that luna like stadia will have somewhat triple games there but again if it's just a subscription service i feel it would be hard for game developers to justify getting their triple a games that they just released on this service i'm eager to see what they'll do there right now it seems to be best selling triple a games from a year ago hmm so stuff that would be like 30 dollars uh playstation hits re-releases or something like that Wow, so it kind of start to it kind of means that this is a perfect service for me. If you think about if you think about Probably, my buying yeah. space, because I usually tend to wait for the games, the triple games, to become cheaper. Because usually when they come out, I not uber excited to buy them at full price, except except a few titles, uh, which we'll discuss in the next episode with for game of the year. But uh, they're there. Then I feel we have Xbox Game Pass Cloud Gaming. And that's where the line blurs. You you go to Stadia first, I would say, and then GeForce Now at the end. And you could inverse. So a quick reminder, uh, Yannick, talk about his experience of GeForce Now in episode 129. So if you want to get more details about that service, I would strongly invite you to go revisit it. Since then, have you used it more? Or it was still kind of like you've used it for this episode and then more or less left it alone? I was using it heavily to play uh, Magic Arena. The Mm. main thing is that since then, Magic Arena has come out on the Mac, so I don't need to use it anymore. So I don't really use it for anything. Mm. Although later on, when we'll be able to talk about the Stadia experience, I'll be able to compare how Destiny 2 played on one and on the other because I've played it on both. Ah, I see, I see. Why I do put it at the end of the scale GeForce Now is because, yes, this is a subscription service, but it's a subscription service to literally PCs because you bring your own catalog of games through uh, stream. 
Uh, I think they also have a GeForce store, if I recall correctly. You can, you can log buy. into any major game store. So Epic Game okay. Store, Steam, Origin, all that shit. You can log into it and you can more or less bring your PC game library over. There are certain exceptions which have been added since uh, we recorded that episode. Uh, certain game developers have opted out of uh, this thing, uh, for example, or s- certain games have also opted out. For example, there there is a security issue with MMORPGs allowing uh, streaming access because then it becomes trivially easy to evade IP bans uh, because you can mm. just log into streaming services. So as much as I would love to play Final Fantasy XIV on a streaming service so I don't have to like dedicate 100 gigs of my storage space for uh, FF14, uh ff14 is not interested in doing it because you can just get around ip bands and that would be bad good yeah so uh geforce now you can play it for free gives you a one hour play session and then if you want to play more than one hour you are disconnected go back in the queue and hopefully there's a way for you to play uh, but you could see that if this service gains popularity uh, you might have to wait for pl- to play more than one hour sessions. I have a story about that. When okay. Fortnite was pulled from the iOS app store, mm-hmm. for some reason, I don't know why, uh, GeForce Now queue times jumped up super high because for some reason, everyone was queuing up to play Fortnite. <laughs> oh, okay. They, they moved to GeForce Now because I think GeForce Now can be streamed through iOS. It, on an uh, app? I, oh wait, no, it wasn't the iOS one that got pulled that was the problem. It was the Android one. When Android uh, Fortnite got pulled, um, Android Fortnite players went to the GeForce Now app because they could play Fortnite mm. through it. And then everybody started queuing in the free queue. And then if you were on the free queue like I was, you were at the back of the queue and you were waiting for hours to try to play Magic Arena. So yeah, that that was funny. Right. So which brings me to why would you pay for this for this service is twofold. Uh, first, you get six hour play session, so like six times, six more hours, uh, five more hours to play, so six times longer. And also, you have priority in the waiting queue. So I guess there's a queue that like puts you at uh, at the top of the queue. And I guess if there's a lot of paid accounts, you are in this uh, different queue if need be. Well, you're running on different machines because the free accounts have GTX. 1000 series gpus whereas the paid accounts uh last time i checked they were rtx 2000 series i think they're they might be 3000 now because the three thousands have come out but yeah mm-hmm. uh you're on a different tier of thing and that means like you get all the ray tracing stuff if you're playing a ray tracing game uh by playing paying for the subscription right and i've been using the service what i feel interested in this service is especially for possible games that um that are only on PCs without having the commitment on PC hardware, which again, um, Yannick and I have discussed my beloved, uh, Age of Empire and I'm always looking at Steam deals. Uh, but one downside I've seen is it's hard to understand or hard to, to know whether a game, if you haven't bought it, so you haven't logged into, uh, GeForce Now, whether it is supported by the service or not. So uh, I'm kind of like it or miss of whether I want to put the money up front and see if it's supported or not, because I might just end up paying for no reason. But- Hilariously, though, uh, Gruber posted a link yesterday, which is like Apple Silicon Games. And I saw the Age of Empires 
2 HD edition runs great on Apple Silicon Macs in crossover. So maybe just like buy it for five bucks on Steam. And if it doesn't work, go look into crossover. Huh. I might have to look into this. For sure, I don't want to. I was more tempted to buy the new 4K edition, but that could be a good thing. Huh. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, so that mainly wraps up the competition. Uh, the main point you need to understand with the competition is they are on this kind of like spectrum of what you're renting more or less are you renting the game and the hardware or are you renting just the hardware and different services means different place on that spectrum and also different users might like the trade-offs of one approach versus the other i would think that today if we go back to your historical uh, view of stadia one year after its launch it feels to me that GeForce Now is for like really like Arco gamers because you bring your own catalog, you get possibly the best PC experience on the cloud because NVIDIA's, from my limited understanding of the video games GPU market at this point, is the king at the top of the L. Yes. So, so to get their hardware without like paying like $1,000 for uh, uh, GPUs and having to wait because COVID and GPUs and all that fun stuff or and even... Without having to fight the Bitcoin boys for their I fucking was about GPUs. To, yes, I was about to say that. I haven't looked whether COVID affected those people, but yes. before COVID it was uh, them stealing or not stealing, but like buying all the GPUs available. It's actually so, made it worse, but yeah. Oh, because they still have the same... They, they they still buy them a lot, but there's less offering right now. Hmm. So yeah. So I hope that Nvidia is also reserving some of their inventories for their own service. So it does mean that you might have access to those GPU even before they're like easily available for consumer to buy. Um. But yeah. So uh, this brings me to talk. Now that we've talked about the story a bit about the competition in the feature. Let's talk about what were our two weeks of playing with Stadia. Actually, anything b- b- before that, I have one last point to make about the competition. Okay. Which is, of all the streaming services that we've mentioned, this is the hardest one to try because of that barrier where they expect you to buy games. And uh, mm. I think we reported on this on the podcast back in April. Uh, back in April, they basically opened signups for the base tier of Stadia. Because before, you had to know someone who was in Stadia to actually get a Stadia account. Um, and I had said during that episode, like, oh, I'll report back and we'll talk about, like, how the Destiny experience was or whatever. And then I logged into my Stadia base tier account and I had zero games that I could play and I had to pay like 40 bucks or 80 bucks to actually like play anything at all. And that's kind of a bad experience. Like I guess now there's the uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising demo that I could play to test it out, which is better than nothing, I guess. But like you don't even get anything to test your connection with like just give me some really like stupid 20 year old game just to make sure it works but like you don't get anything you have to pay to even try anything by the way for that uh, sorry for the interruption but part of the interview i've mentioned uh the director of stadia games said you know it's free to try you can just get in the trial of pro for one month and see if you like it or not and i think that's what they're trying to do by doing that is 
upping up their conversion numbers for their subscription mm. service, which is just try it for a month. And then if you don't like it, just cancel and everything is fine. But in the last week, I think for the Stadia anniversary, uh, they announced one or two games that are now like completely free. So uh, I think for the rest of the year, you can play Super Bomberman R for free, the Switch one, the one that was a launch title on the Switch. You can play it on uh, Stadia for free until the rest of the year. So there's that. And then Destiny 2, which funnily enough, the same day that they announced the Stadia version of Destiny 2, they announced that that Destiny 2 was going free to play. But it wasn't free to play on Stadia until literally this week. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe they didn't have the infrastructure to support free-to-play games on Stadia or something, but you had to pay or log into uh, a pro account to actually play Destiny 2 at all. You couldn't just log into your Destiny 2 free-to-play account on Stadia for some reason, which meant that what I had expected to do back in April, which was log in to my Destiny 2 account and play Destiny 2 for a while on Stadia, couldn't do it, but now you can. Uh, So... It's getting better, but of all the things, like at least for a subscription service where you get a library of things, like, okay, I can understand that you don't necessarily want to give anything away for free, but if you actually have to buy in to your games, you need to give people something for free so that they at least verify that it works. Because otherwise, it's a shitty experience. You buy an $80 Ubisoft game and it's unplayable, and you're like, well, why the fuck did I bother? And it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. That is totally fair. I didn't know that fact. And mainly because we tried it this week. I tried it this week. And then I took, uh, I did what Google asked me to do, which is get a month for free to get the hardware, which meant I have access to that. But that's a really, really good point, uh, which I guess if you compare with GeForce Now, I'm sure throughout the year, somebody, you either bought a, a game on, stream, on Steam or you did click buy on one of them that were free at some point. So you do have possibly something to try there. And when you log into the GeForce Now app, like the first carousel at the top of the page is free to play games. Like there's your choice. Go play Apex Legends if you want. Like it's right there. It's waiting for you. Just click on it and you're playing it within a couple of minutes. And that's great. Okay. I really, really need to. It's sad that I didn't, I forget that, but I really should try it. So I'll put it in my list in the next few weeks to uh, go try it and come back and uh, report on my own experience. Speaking of own experience, let's switch about what, uh, let's move to what did we like or dislike and also what was our experience uh, using Stadia. And I think overall for me, if I talk about the core experience of streaming a game, I think with the maybe, I would say 10 hours, give or take of gameplay that I've done in the past two weeks, it is hard for me to ding Google because they've delivered on what they promise, which is good quality of stream if you follow that you have a good internet connection. Luckily for me, I live in a city, so it's not too bad. Uh, yes, you do run into issues where either quality drops significantly or frames are dropped, but most of the time they wear like a couple of seconds and it goes back. It's a bit infuriating, let's say when you play Destiny and you raid or like you're about to get killed, something like that. Uh, but A, it is something I would have assumed knowing that it's asking a lot of bandwidth from my own connection or even from the Google uh, servers. 
the main issue I ran into it was on the first play session. It was quite bad comparing to my later experience, but that I would blame on a personal error. As I mentioned a bit at the top of the episode, my quote unquote fastest computer to run VP9, possibly not run it, was my work laptop. And I was doing that after work day and I realized and I forgot I was still connected to the work VPN, which even <laughs> for work purposes uh, does have sometimes connection issues. So once I've done that, I haven't seen as bad because it was literally unplayable in some moments. Whereas when I made sure to make sure to not be connected to the VPN, uh, I did add some hiccups, but they were hiccups, part of a longer play session. And um, we'll talk about it later in the episode, but when Yannick and I played Destiny together, so yes, I played Destiny for once, uh, at least in my life now, uh, we played what, nearly three hours. And yeah. overall, like it was great, couple of hiccups, but overall great. You are also playing on Wi-Fi the whole time, right? I am playing on Wi-Fi too. Which, which is kind of impressive. Yes. If you add that, uh, I'm literally in my office and my uh, home router is at the other extreme of my condo. Uh, it's, it is impressive. My main issue I've had with the Studio Experience, it is with the UI on, <laughs> I would say on Chrome, because again, we didn't use, I don't have the Chromecast, so I don't know what's the experience on the TV. It's the same. <laughs> oh, really? Oh my goodness. So the, st- the status store in ER on the, I said on the web, but it's really lackluster. I feel it's hard to navigate while also it's not contain, it's not really information dense. It doesn't contain that much information. One thing I still don't understand is why the F do you need to click play twice? And what I mean by that is when you find a game that you've either authorized or bought on your account, there's a play button. Then there's kind of another screen that is a modal presentation that pops up, which is kind of, I think it's trying to emulate, uh, the, uh, like the, the cover you would see if you own the game physically, because it's the same kind of like poster image that you would see on the store when you're trying to buy the game, uh, when you look at the list of game. And then on the middle of this, there's a big play button with now with the icon. It's a circle with the triangle as a play icon versus a round square with the word play written, the first thing. So it's a bit weird for me to understand why you need to click play twice. Like I click play, like I want to play, boot the game now, especially with the feature that it is, is you click play and you should be in the game nearly as we speak so ignoring this double uh play thing it is really true that you click play yes you need to click play again but once you click the second play the game boots which that is i'm still surprised to this day that this is really working as fast as <laughs> it is uh lastly on the ui in the store I, because i come from owning a console um and even like for my limited Steam usage, it is clear in those systems, what is your library and what's the store? And I feel that in Stadia, because they kind of want you to buy, so it's like you're in the store, but the first tab is your library. It's your kind of home tab, they call it. But then you have a store tab, but on your own tab, you see ads for the store. So I would maybe see that the library view, I could call it, has been designed for more games, but because I have authorized maybe three games in my account. Uh, because yes, even if you're part of Stadia Pro, you kind of need to authorize the games the same way that for PSN Plus, every month you need to go buy the game, even if it's for free, so to make sure it's authorized in your account. 
And those blurred lines means a bit weird and hard to navigate. When I feel it should be way simpler for you to do click, 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 and I'm in the game. Not find the game I want to play and even the search bar is a bit weird. Then I click on it and it says play and I click on it. I click play again and then boom, the game is booting up. And that's that's my experience with the UI itself because again, it's really hard to say that uh, the in the the experience of it is bad. Did you have the thing? Uh, I don't know if you've been looking at Twitter much this week, but um, really? okay. Uh, so I have this weird experience where I was using it in Chrome because I had to, and Chrome is my mm-hmm. work browser on my uh, home Mac. So I was opening an incognito tab every time, uh, incognito window every time I was going to play Stadia. And that means that the stupid fucking message about cookies was on the bottom of the screen every single time I went to the page. If you don't dismiss that and you start the game, it just stays there and you have no way to dismiss it unless you quit out of the game completely. Oh, and that, no, no. that just reminded me like, oh, this is why we hate web applications. Because <laughs> first of all, the cookies thing is fucking bullshit. And second of all, I shouldn't have to think about your hierarchy of divs when i'm doing things in your application it should just work and right now i'm very aware of the hierarchy of divs in your application one thing i had that is somewhat similar to you uh, is when you receive a macOS notification uh, because again it's literally running in chrome and i don't think there's an api for uh, there could be an API, but I don't think it's a web API to tell to Chrome to silence the macOS notifications. So <laughs> Not you do... yet, but next week there will be. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, but I, what would happen is I have reminders that would pop up. And then because your cursor is like attached to the game, you really need to hit uh, its shift tab or when you have a controller, like uh, we'll come to that just in a bit, uh, you press the PS button. And it will come the stadia button. I will come about that later, but like I, we didn't have the uh, we didn't have the stadia controller, so I was oh, using my right, PS4 right. controller. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, uh, you had to play that, and it kind of detach the input from your uh, from the game to back to back to your host computer, and then you have those because those get stuck there, like they're just there forever. So again. Small downsides of having it of a, a web interface, uh, even running to Chrome. I guess if you have a hybrid app, we've talked in great lengths about how we despise those apps, but at least those, I know there's APIs to maybe say, hey, go into do not disturb mode uh, if it was kind of just running into a container. Let's talk. Uh, so again, um, sadly, Yannick made a good point. Yes, you press the Stadia button, which means... I was not able to play 4K games. Again, I gave you the, the list uh, because for an unknown reason, Mac desktops are not included uh, for VP9 and 4K. Uh, it meant that for me, I don't have a PC so I, nor a Chromebook, so I really needed the Chromecast Ultra to see 4K performance because I really, really was eager to see the performance and stream quality of the game in 4k hard to see uh that right now also because i didn't receive the art i didn't really do the research to see if any of the studio programs could deliver 4k gameplay because from my understanding it's not all the games that will deliver 4k gameplay even if you pay for it because the game might not just support it at all 
Well, like, Destiny 2 is strange because on PC it can do native 4K, but on Stadia it does, like, 1440p upscaled to 4K, but you're still getting a 4K stream, it's just 1440p upscaled, and it makes me confused because you would save bandwidth if you just gave a 1440p stream instead. I don't know. But, like, (laughs) uh, yeah, there's a bunch of weird stuff with regards to the games, although, like, from a hardware perspective, the uh, Stadia machines are more or less comparable to ps5 specs minus the fancy hardware features like ray tracing so Hmm. you should be fine to play all these games at 4k in theory which is why it was baffling that destiny 2 was running at 1440p upscaled right and even currently like uh I'm using uh, my work laptop as I said and also my work monitor which is an apple turnable display which with its resolution I don't think it does 1080p correctly kind of it so I wish I had an experience where I could run on a monitor that I know either does 4K or 1080p correctly, uh, which would be my LGD OLED TV. So yeah. I did feel that even if I maybe was receiving 1080p, that I was not looking at 1080p, if you understand the distinction I'm trying to make. I might receive the stream, but the quality didn't felt like what I would see on my personal tv when i play even 1080p games and you're so that, introducing additional latency for the conversion for the downscaling of the uh, the image yeah so again i really really eager to receive it so i can really sit on a tv to get proper 1080p because you'll see uh, when i go into whether i will keep the service or not uh the uh, display quality of the video stream is uh Something I was a bit disappointed when using through my Mac. I felt that my Mac setup is not optimized for this, so I can be partly to blame here that I was not using the most optimized setup for it. But at the same time, I you kind of need to optimize your setup. You need to go back to not making an hardware commitment on hardware investment. You kind of need to do that if you want to enjoy proper 1080p or even 4K. That That's kind of what... I did by coincidence. So I was playing on my Mac Mini, which is hooked up via Ethernet to my uh, modem. And I'm playing on a 1080p gaming monitor in full screen. So I was getting native resolution the whole time. Um, My experience actually sounds different from yours in terms of uh, how it performed in weird connection instability times. Um, But first, I kind of want to talk a little bit about my expectations, because on episode 129, I said uh, one of the things I was really excited for uh, Stadia about was the promise that a big tech player with a lot and a lot of hours of streaming content to people at relatively low latency with YouTube streaming, uh, finally actually trying to get cloud gaming to be viable uh and i thought like if anybody's going to be able to do it it's going to be google and like just seeing the names that were backing uh google gave me confidence that these were not just like nobody is trying to figure out the problem and people with actual experience who know what a good experience should be like and who know what to look for in their product this is sort of the asterisk that I have. When my connection chooses to cooperate, Stadia is above, is clearly a tier above any other cloud gaming service I've tried in terms of responsiveness and image quality. However, for me, it doesn't respond well to fluctuations in connection quality at all. And this is where like your story is very different from my story. Mm-hmm. Because 
you were playing on Wi-Fi, and I don't know if that is related to the thing, but you said you were experiencing quality drops and like maybe a little bit lower resolution. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. Okay. Uh, I would say if I compare it to what I would see on my PS4, which cannot do 10, uh, 4K, it just do 1080p and then the TV does the rest, right? Yeah. Like I never seen as good of like display quality currently while planning it. But again, I kind of blame that a bit, not on Wi-Fi, but a bit on the PC gaming setup that I have, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. completely not perfect. No, that's true. Um, and like that... That fluctuation in connection quality, like if I use GeForce now, like the bitrate goes down or the resolution goes down temporarily just to ensure that the gameplay stays fluid. Uh, Stadia in Chrome drops the connection entirely when I have a less stable connection. Oh, wow. Okay. I never, never add that where there was maybe one or twice that is about to say, hey, if it continues, like we'll have to cut the game. Uh, I never even see that dialogue. Oh, wow. It okay. just cuts out. Um, okay, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this would happen in like uh, Destiny 2 has certain special uh, public events where there, if you have multiple people there, uh, and often you do because if you go in a high population area, there are a bunch of people playing. Uh, everybody's throwing their abilities at this massive amount of enemies, and there are particle effects all over the place. Well, connection cut out. And then I have to rush to connect back to my session within five minutes. Otherwise, the game has to relaunch from scratch. And of course, while this is happening, I know I'm dead because everyone was already like rushing towards us when I died uh, or when the connection cut out. So like that is really bad because uh, like when we we were playing the other night, um, I don't think you noticed because I didn't make a big deal out of it, but I quit out of the game three times during, uh, luckily we weren't in the middle of a mission, but like we were in a really? patrol area and I dropped out three times completely. Oh, wow. I didn't own that. Uh, yeah. Because I was, because you never mentioned it. Like, let's be honest. You never mentioned it to me. And for me on the other side, I didn't realize like, oh, we're middle of the game or we're just like in the control area and Yannick is not moving for seconds. I think I said it, but I don't think it registered with you because you were maybe <laughs> doing something else at the same time or something oh, like that. Oh, okay. Maybe when I was uh, dealing with my own Podmini situation. <laughs> maybe, but like it, it, it's really frustrating that it drops out like that completely when I would gladly take the bitrate drop or the resolution drop for like a second, the time that it catches back up or whatever. But that's not great. Um, the other thing that's really important with cloud gaming services, and I don't think I've mentioned this on previous episodes because it never really clicked until recently, is what you want for input delay is to have fixed predictable input delay. Because if you have a fixed predictable input delay, your brain adjusts to it and compensates for it over time. And the more recent uh, services like uh, GeForce Now and Stadia are designed with the goal of having a fixed predictable delay because they know that there's always going to be a delay, but if we can keep it fixed, people can adjust to it. And this is good. This is very, very, very good because it makes the game way more playable. I think this is one of the issues that I have with um, PlayStation Now. Well, I, I, I'm going to say remote play because it technically uses the same tech as uh, PlayStation Now, but... It's probably a little bit better on PlayStation now because they're working out of data centers and have more control over the environment. Um, when you play remote play or PlayStation now, like you notice that the delay is not constant 
because mm-hmm. sometimes you drag the thumbstick and it just like does crazy shit that you are not expecting. Uh, whereas I never get that feeling out of playing on GeForce Now or on uh, Stadia. It's it's surprising though because I did feel that a bit with Stadia and some on some of those hiccups where like quality goes down, but also I f- see that I'm trying to move and then it like it really like like you move by a big jump and then it comes back and then like I had those really weird hiccups of like input lag more or less. But is that your input that's lagging or is that your visual feedback that's jumping like it could be it's weird to it because that happens where quality goes down and even frame rate goes down i feel it's hard to judge as a player which thing like whether your input is well received and then you see the feedback or your input is not well received and that's why you don't see the feedback huh so you you saw frame or frame rate drops because i've had locked locked 60 all the time no i've seen frame rate drops Huh, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> but again, it could be because of Wi-Fi. And I think it, yeah. all, all of this goes back to... Variability. Variability. I yeah. totally agree with you. It's it's hard. And I'm still surprised. At the same time, I'm still surprised that it is so good based on everything we know as nerd and tech developers too about how the internet and our ISPs are uberly unreliable. Yeah, the internet is a house of cards, and it's a miracle that this works at all. <laughs> yeah. Even as well as it does. Uh, if we compare, like, of course, I've played a lot of Destiny and some of Destiny 2 on uh, PS4. So I I think actually, like, sitting at the same distance I would normally sit playing PS4 games, it's hard to tell the difference between what you see on PS4 and what you see on Stadia. The big difference is... It runs at twice the frame rate, which is kind of mind-boggling. Mm. Uh, so it is massively higher performance than what I'm used to. Um, not necessarily a problem. It's actually kind of a feature. Um, but it's just weird to see this thing that I've seen for thousands of hours running at 30 frames per second, suddenly running at 60 frames per second, and it's being streamed on top of that. It's kind of amazing. So, so that's sort of like my my technical experience with uh, Stadia. Like uh, I didn't use the web UI very much. I used the Stadia app just because like I knew the web UI was repulsive and I didn't want to use it. Uh, so I would rather use the app, which is also terrible, but in different ways. You you mean the iOS app? Yeah, which is yeah, only I mean, for the store because you can't right. actually play through it. Right. I, I've downloaded it. I looked at it. It's like it's the same shit as the web UI and it kind of more or less went on with my ways with it. Uh, so I know it's installed, uh, but I didn't really look at it. Uh, one point I want to make clear to part of the experience, uh, which is related to hardware, is um, I've a long, long time ago I did play more games on the PC or on desktop, uh, and I really like that. Right now on Stadia, they do support controllers, so you have a choice of using mouse and keyboard or connect an Xbox or PS4 controller and wired or via bluetooth so i did make sure to experience both so uh, i kind of realized because i first started with mouse and keyboard that i'm pretty bad at mouse and keyboard gameplay uh but that's me because i'm not used to it with my like ps2 ps3 and ps4 experience uh for the last like 15 20 years uh, i think the last time i 
played games on a PC was like around 2005, just to give you an idea. Team Fortress 2 era portal. Yeah, yeah, something like that. When we at home, we used to have a PC and it was shitty and stuff like that. So like when I moved to PS3 fully and PS4 after, like I we I mentioned multiple previous episodes about video games that I'm not a PC gamer. Uh, so that was weird for me uh, to experience that. Though, uh, the uh, controller support is quite amazing. Uh, I've never really uh, experienced uh, on iOS 14 the support for the DualShock on it. So it was the first time I was trying to pair a DualShock with something that is not a PS4. Um, and it is surprisingly easy. You literally press the all the PS button and the share button at the same time for a couple of seconds. And then after you hold and wait, the light bar will do those quick flashes telling it's in pairing mode, shows in Bluetooth settings on the Mac. You pair it. Uh, and even with macOS Catalina, it detects that's a, con- a game controller. And then since then, you launch the UI using your mouse and keyboard. You do one thing to kind of wake up the, the the controller and also make Chrome see that there's a controller. And then it's the UI, it's switch. And when you boot, boot a game, like all the shortcuts, like it all switches to controller uh, because as you know, game PC versions of games support both. So that I really enjoyed, even if we didn't get the uh, Stadia controller this week. Yeah. Did you try it on your side? No. Having a no. Okay, so you were like mouse and keyboard form all the time. Because I was playing so much Apex, I didn't want to have to repair mm. the controller. <laughs> One thing I maybe I don't, I don't know if you did, but when I bought my PS4, um, like I bought I bought the noble setup, so it became with the black controller. But I really enjoyed the white controller, so I bought the white controller. And since I bought my PS4, I only used my white controller. So it meant that I have an extra controller that was for the last five years doing nothing. So that's the one I used. I did have an extra controller at one point, but as I mentioned when we were playing Destiny, it's the one that has dead analog sticks because I kept running everywhere for thousands Mm. of hours in Destiny 1, RIP. Um, So only the D-pad works. Right. And a last point for reals about the hardware is, uh, I agree with you that I was using Wi-Fi. Uh, you're making a point that you are, like, your Mac Mini is close to your router. So, uh, again... Well, it's on Ethernet. Right. But yeah. it's close to your router, so you well, could too. use Ethernet. Uh, the way my office is set up is so far, and my condo is not wired for that. So, I was waiting for the Chromecast Ultra to come in, because the Chromecast Ultra has a dongle, like, part of the... Um, from what I've read, is part of the uh, power cable. It allows you to plug in Ethernet. Huh. And I think it is it is a dongle that is especially done for this package that will receive. <laughs> that makes sense. Which makes sense. So that's what I was waiting for to experience uh, Ethernet connection because, again, my router and the related router uses a switch to get more Ethernet ports is literally next to my TV setup. So I'm eager to see if I see improvements into first, like streaming quality uh, overall and even better input lag. Which brings me uh, slowly to surely, but surely to the conclusion of the service. Uh, one of the points that I think is made clear by Stadia people and also made clear in the interview I mentioned earlier in the episode is Stadia is good for convenience. The idea is it takes... 5 to 10 seconds, and the 10 seconds be, is mainly because you're lost in the UI, not because it's loading, uh, and then you end the game. 
to come back to what we were discussing last episode when we were talking as whether Yannick or I wanted to get a PS5 and reminiscing what I quote as the weirdness of, ga- of past game consoles. Uh, you didn't mention that one thing you're really tired of and that will also affect next week's episode about game of the year is you're kind of tired of updating patches, installing uh, OS patches, game yep. patches. And you know what? Stadia is a is a... 2020 fix to this problem for sure game console makers could go back to what the ps2 ps1 or the nintendo equivalents uh, are to get this experience back but it feels that stadia is flipping this problem on its head and giving giving you a solution which is literally will take care of this problem for you so when you click play twice to remind you, uh, we will already have made sure that you're running the latest OS version that we use in our data center, that also we're running the latest patch for that game because I I guess we're good at having a server that is running the old patch and then when the new patch is updated, we swap those server and then nobody sees it on the web because that's what those, uh, that's what uh, is the powerfulness of uh, cloud center these days and uh, even web development. I'm sure I'm fucking things up about web development and all those texts, but you see where I'm going with this. Um, And convenience is a strong sell for Stadia. The main problem is, like a lot of people, I'm not sure if I should entrust Google with my (laughs) video game buying habits. The fact that you need to buy, and I think this echoes with a lot of what people have been saying is, Needing to buy platform-specific games, I think, is a major roadblock to this service. Let's not forget, Google is the company that creates a fucking new micro, uh, messaging service every year. And even every year, it's like sometimes twice a year. I recall when we started to play the game, I would I troll Yannick by chatting to him through Stadia. and be like, oh, that's Google's new messaging service, the Stadia one. Because Google is so good. I was like, oh, we're done with this Arvik. And we just throw it in the trash. And then people are like, oh, but... We spend so much energy. I would certainly say money because like Wave and all those services were quote-unquote free. But in this one, if let's say in 2022, Google's like, you know what? We're tired of Stadia. We don't want to invest in it anymore. We spent so much money. We're losing so much money that we're just tired. And Google is really good at saying, we're tired. We turned the page and then we forgot about it. What happens to the money you spend on this? And that is where I feel the problem. If you do something like GeForce Now, where what you end up paying for is not for the games, is for the infrastructure. If the infrastructure fails through, sorry, it sucks, but at least your game, you still quote unquote own them, even if they're digital, and you can get that back possibly by buying hardware yourself. That's where it started to lose me. Like, would I really switch to a service like this? It's like, right now, no, because on top of, I'm unsure if I should trust Google with this. Like, where are the games I like? And on top of that, some of the games I really love are benefiting from the announcement of the tech we had. Like, we've talked about in Great Lands about my love of story-based games and cutscenes and all that fun stuff. Those games to enjoy, they don't require good streaming quality, but they kind of do too. And it's hard for me to see whether Stadia, because they don't have that much of those types of games, which surprisingly enough, if you think about it, like 
like first player games like like single player games that are story based that don't really require require a network component to play is good for streaming because the only problem is making sure the streaming connection but if you have to rely on like multi like massive mmos to play it like you also have the component of like you're talking to another network and yannick you were telling me this week that like stadia is kind of optimizing their game lineup for like those types of game which well it's a good challenge i, I think maybe time, you, i think maybe you misunderstood a little bit what i was getting okay. at so yeah, I think this is a problem that's also kind of intertwined with the game selection, which is a big problem with uh, Stadia mm-hmm. right now, which is like uh, Stadia, much like other platform vendors, they are funding development of games t- to encourage exclusives or timed exclusives on their platform. And one of the people that I know who has been working on a game and recently released on Stadia is Brandon Sheffield from Insert Credit. Uh, he's a longtime game blogger and journalist and he makes games on the side and his game Gunsport has been in development for I think 10 years or something and what finally got the game out is basically like funding from Stadia to actually put the finishing touches and ship the thing the problem is it's a multiplayer esport that you play that requires low latency and it makes no sense to put that kind of a game on Stadia because that is like the worst possible environment you could put that game in but they're the ones who wanted to fund it. So, I mean, you don't say no to that. And, like, he's going to be able to ship it on other platforms eventually. But it just feels completely weird that this is happening. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, on the last episode where we talked about Stadia that uh, Samurai Showdown, which is a fighting game, launched on Stadia before PC. And everyone was pissed because <laughs> fighting games... First of all, the net play in Samurai Showdown is terrible to begin with on normal systems. So it's going to be bad to start off with. And then you factor on top of that the latency and the variability of Stadia. Like, that's not an experience people want. But they did it for a Samurai Showdown. And I think Mortal Kombat 11 as well are both on Stadia. When those are not the kinds of games that benefit from Stadia or make any sense really on Stadia. And what I had said on episode 129 was, uh, like, I had hoped that this was Google saying, we are confident that our that these games are going to be playable on our system and are not going to have all of the issues that they have on other cloud streaming platforms. Well, unfortunately, they're slightly better if you have a more stable connection than other uh, services they compete with. But there are still major issues for those kinds of games. And like their game selection pushing in that direction is bad. Uh, I do think they need more MMOs on Stadia. The problem there, again, is platform vendors don't want that because it makes it trivial to circumvent IP bans. But like at that point, if you can have a deal with Stadia to just ban the Stadia account, I'm not sure I understand what the issue is, I, I'm really unclear about that. The other thing that's really cool if you do games like MMOs, like Destiny 2 or whatever, is if Stadia decides they shut down, your licenses are all on the server side anyway. So Bungie can say, oh, sorry, Stadia Destiny 2 doesn't exist anymore. We're going to gift you free licenses of this content on PC or PS4 or Xbox. Choose which one you want and we'll gift it to you. They can Mm. do that. And knowing Bungie, they probably would do that because they've done similar things in the past. Really? Yeah. 
like they give cross generation uh upgrades like ps3 ps4 ps5 are all like a sony purchase uh within the family um and there have been like when they discontinued support for the old ps3 consoles they had like good migration schemes when they dump BattleNet for steam you could move your purchases over like they've done this multiple times that i trust that if stadia goes away they will have something to keep the stadia people happy but you know what your point that you're mentioning is is two twofold for mmos to be successful i i personally believe that they need to be on more than one platform because yes. the first time is massively multiplayer right it's you need a shit ton of people so you, it's hard for them to be locked down and again i don't have like recent numbers but uh forgot it's one of the uh video game expert at the verge was tweeting about the destiny usage uh, in march <laughs> 2020 and like which platform people are using destiny on and like stadia was like literally like tenfold lower than either ps4 or uh the xbox console which that is a big problem if you what you aim, aim for is mmos well here's a concrete example i can go boot up destiny one which has not been supported for four years okay by bungie mm-hmm. and i can queue up for a three-player activity and it'll take a long time but i will get three players it will take like five minutes but i will get three players and we will start the activity I queued up for a strike in Destiny 2 on Stadia, and it could only pair me with one other player after 10 minutes. Wow. Okay, that's bad. I got halfway through the strike. A second person came in. So then we were the three people who were supposed to do it. Then we died on the boss one time. The person rage quit. So we were two again, and nobody else joined, of course. So that's terrible experience for a game that had the hugest patch of the year the week before. Wow. Yeah, and to, to bring back to... This is f- my first argument, and the second that is more personal, I rarely play to those types of games. Yeah. And I think our past episode about what are, what are we as video game, uh, gamers did show that, for me, story-based games that are mainly single-player is what I enjoy most. But the the point I'm trying to make here is not like these games are better than uh the, than the games you like or anything like that it's more so that these games tend to be lifestyles for people people get married to people they meet in world of warcraft and in final fantasy 14 because like some of that is bad but some of it is also good where it's a very it's a very engrossing addictive experience right. as someone with a thousand thousand hours of destiny 1 experience can tell you like it can take over your life, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways. And what people who play these games want is the flexibility of what Stadia affords, which is I can go play this anywhere. And the problems with network stability are not a huge churn off because the game doesn't play if you don't have a network connection anyway. So to me, it's less of a sacrifice for these MMO games to be completely in the cloud mm-hmm. than anything else. And they have an expiration date because one day the servers right. are going to go down anyway. So like y- you sort of have to play in the moment anyway. So I think like they need to be pushing on that front because that is what's going to get hardcore gamers excited about cloud gaming. Yeah. And I think your last two minutes is exactly why I feel Stadia is not for me is because I don't play those games 
I, like I'm not a lifestyle gamer on mainly of those games. And right now, that's not their focus. I don't think it's making it a, a, a bad service. But if I had more of what I like in the general of games, I feel that it could have kept me. But now I don't feel I, I should be kept on that unless I would like to enjoy cheaply Destiny 2 for more than uh, just a week or two. Well, that's half of my pitch for the game uh, the game selection thing. I was not saying they should only have these games. Mm. The other half that I think they are not focusing enough on is games that would appeal to people, like gateway games to get people into gaming. And this sounds weird, but it kind of, it kind of makes sense. Do you know people who have Chromecasts at home who do not play video games but might buy a controller for 50 bucks to play a game that you highly recommend they check out. Uh, it's hard for me to answer because I don't really know people that have Chromecast, but... Oh, okay. You're, you're <laughs> too much of a bourgeoisie Apple user. To, uh, uh, oh, all my friends have HomePods. Uh, I, I guess. I guess. Okay, well, fair enough. Us normal people who are poor and live in oh, smaller yo, yo, cities... Yo. Uh, oh, yo, 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 we yo. have friends who have Chromecasts, and uh, like the example that comes to my mind is oftentimes I've been like, this person would really enjoy Kingdom Hearts mm. on the PS2, which is a Disney and Square Enix RPG action hybrid. The earlier one is more of a platformer than, than anything else, but whatever. There are people I would like to introduce Kingdom Hearts to who have Chromecasts. And I would gladly give them the controller and the game as a gift and be like, go try this. I think you'd like it. There are other games in that sort of category, which are like gateway games that like there is a little aspect, whether it's an in, uh, an intellectual property or whatever, that is like, okay, this is the part that's going to get your attention. And then the game is going to be good under that. So maybe you're going to like games afterwards. They should be looking at those kinds of games and saying, okay, what are the games that we can get on this platform that fit into that category? These people do not have high expectations for graphics because they don't play video games. They don't know what to look for. They just want right. it to play good. And Kingdom Hearts isn't a particularly like game that requires tight timing or anything. It's just like pretty forgiving in that respect. Like, go for it. Put Kingdom Hearts 1, 2, 3 on Stadia, and I'm going to go buy Chromecasts for people if that's what you want. Like, uh, It's just like, it, there's none of that right now. It's just like, do you want to play this year's Assassin's Creed and play, pay maybe like 15 to $20 more than it costs on console for some reason? <laughs> and it's like, well, hey, I wasn't really interested in that game to begin with, much less so if it's more expensive. But that's not really the kind of game that benefits at all for this i i don't know it's just like no and maybe to conclude on that point i think the exact argument you just made is what could have been said a couple of months ago and still be could be said about apple tv plus is what is the motivator for people to buy in yeah on the service and for me i don't feel there is that much buy-in right now for Stadia, for my personal, yeah. yes, for on Stadia for my personal taste on video games, and maybe I'll end on this. Is I'm not sure if I'm happy about that. It's weird to say, but I I came in with no expectation compared to you because you had experience with other things. But I came into a this is possibly the future of gaming, and I'm not making it an injunction. It could be, and I think it will be for some 
And I was a bit sad and disappointed that it was not there for me yet. But I do see the tech behind. I just wish that, again, we've brought that topic up for even Xbox itself. Once that is going to be exclusive title, I'll be like, oh, fuck. You know what? I really wanted to play this game, but I'm not on Stadia. Yeah, it's just like the exclusives are going to have to be like things that do well on Stadia and not like things that are purposefully not going to do well on Stadia. <laughs> right, right. And that's where I am left after those two weeks uh, of Stadia. Yes, for sure, I'll go cancel my uh, Stadia Pro. Don't forget, if you try the trial, it's automatically enrolled. So next month, it will automatically charge on your credit card. So don't forget to go cancel it. But I kind of wished that I would be like, you know what? It's good enough that it would break this the the, the subscription barriers. Like, oh no, not yet another subscription. I kind of wished I was like, you know what? I want to give Google money for this, but it is not there for me. But I could see where it's starting to be there for other people. Oh, here's another idea. Put the Persona games on Stadia. Persona games have zero timing requirement at all. Mm-hmm. And they are hundreds of hours long and people want to be able to play them everywhere because they are hundreds of hours long. Right. <laughs> it's like basically like just look at the Switch library and look at how people actually like, much to my dismay, prefer the flexibility of being able to play things at home and on the go. Well, now if you can just like look at what games people are excited about having that flexibility with just recreate that on stadia and unfortunately that also means these games are probably not games that are going to allow you to flex your hardware and be like oh we have all the ray tracing shit like sorry that's not what people probably value who are going to be interested in your product for a while until you can fix the other issues with the games maybe it's your turn would you keep your stadia pro subscription would you maybe try to buy some games to invest in this platform in the next few months stadia pro subscription no uh because it comes very 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 close to being the same price as the destiny 2 dlc and Mm. the only thing that interests me in reality in stadia is destiny 2 everywhere or destiny 2 actually no the thing that interests me most about this is destiny 2 without having to give up 150 gigabytes of ssd space for destiny 2 and mm-hmm. not having to download patches for Destiny 2. Like, I think I'm in that MMO mindset where I am just like, give me the convenient MMO solution and I am much more likely to gravitate towards it. Uh, and we'll talk about it in a bit, but like, it's surprisingly playable. Uh, so that's good. And th- the story changes next year because Destiny 2 in September of, or well, assuming covid hasn't fucked up the entire timeline uh, september of 2021 <laughs> destiny 2 gets crossplay, and that means i will Ooh. get reunited with all of my friends on pc who switched away from ps4 and left me alone uh so mm. then it becomes much more enticing to have this little thing that i can leave plugged to my tv that is just another input with destiny 2 on it and when I feel like playing with my friends, I can just switch inputs and go play Destiny 2 with my friends for a while and not have to bother with patches, not have to bother with SSD space, and play with higher fidelity than what I currently have on PS4. So that's enticing. And it, again, it also assumes that I like the content that's coming out in Destiny 2. 
that's interesting. If they have more MMOs come out on it, if they have Final Fantasy fourteen, which I have a character on, I just don't pay the subscription right now or stuff like that, like I would be interested. Stadia Pro, not particularly interested, mostly because the games that are on it, I don't care about. And I'm not playing in 4K, so I don't care. Right. Uh, so I, base tier is fine for me. Yeah, this is for sure something I want to try before I cancel everything is receive hopefully on time uh, the Stadia controller and the Chromecast Ultra uh, so I can try 4K, then make my opinion on that part, and then gone with my life sadly yeah so so basically for me it just becomes like proxy destiny 2 hardware while mm. i wait for a ps5 or something eventually like that that's kind of what this would play in my life and again that is conditional on destiny 2 being good but yeah so <laughs> that that's kind of where i'm at with it uh i think spiritually i'm more in line with geforce now in terms of what i would like out of a cloud gaming service or even xbox game pass where like you have the flexibility of having what's in your subscription library and also what you own oh yeah or even like a a kind of a mix of psn ps now and psn plus um again i still feel that um PS Now is kind of a bit the bad part of Netflix. You know, it's an, it's an old backlog of things. But yeah. if you mix it and you pay like, I think per year, it's like super cheap. Like if you end up, if you compare the prices of like sixteen ninety nine plus like PSN and uh, PS Now, it's more or less the same price as what uh, Xbox and Microsoft are doing for this. So yeah, interesting. I was nearly like with the, the Black Friday deals, I was nearly trying to, hey, let's buy three months of... Uh, or a cheap month of uh, PS Now and just go see what's there. So I'm eager if maybe in December when the holiday deals come back, if that's that uh, there again, if I would just uh, chip on it and see what's there. But uh, the more the more I've used Stadia, now that we've, we discussed GeForce Now, I strongly feel that if there's one place I need to go look after is really this option. So it becomes for me the same way Stadia will, might become your destiny place. It might mean the hey the two tweet games I want to play on the on PC, but I don't want to invest on PC. I could just go play there. Yeah, and like uh, next week they're bringing back a piece of content to Destiny Two that was removed for technical reasons uh, that I never got to experience. So my friends and I were actually trying to coordinate. Like, can we all get on the same platform at the same time to actually right, go do right. the thing? And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go clean up my SSD because I have no space left because Final Fantasy XIV ate all the Destiny 2 space. And I, <laughs> so I have to manage all of that this week. And it would be so much simpler if I could just say, hey, Crossplay is active in Destiny 2. We can just log into Stadia and not have to bother with that whenever there's a fun activity that we can do all together. So maybe in the future next year, we'll see. But yeah, for for now, not sticking with it, I think. Good. I think that wraps up on Stadia, but we would like to talk quickly. I know it's a, a lengthy episode again, but I would like to talk quickly about Destiny. Oh, I'm super interested in this. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Um, so part of exploring uh, Stadia, I realized that there is Destiny and it was free. Can you remind me what, what was free and what was paid on Stadia? It's complicated because of the latest bake patch, but more or less, 
everything from year one of Destiny plus part of year two of Destiny is free for everyone if you just go download Destiny on any platform. And then as part of Stadia Pro, we had all of Destiny 2 up to Shadowkeep, which is last year's expansion, unlocked for us to play. Okay, and that's considered year three. Yeah, that, basically we have all of year three of Destiny. Okay, so from the, the free-to-play experience to what we had in Stadia Pro is you get a year and a half more for free compared to the paid content that is year four as we speak. Yes. Good. The model is more complicated than that, but at a very high level, that is more or less what we have. I don't want to make a long tangent about this, but man, like games these days that have like season and everything, it's like super hard for me to get like what's paid. Like they change so much. And I think it's one of the things you mentioned a lot about Destiny is the game evolves so much with those paid patches and everything. It's like crazy to me. I stopped understanding how the microtransaction model worked for Destiny two years ago. So I (laughs) don't even, I can't explain it. So um my experience of destiny i think from my understanding i think is we've done together more or less the uh the new player journey together yeah it's called new light it's the basically the introductory campaign for the free-to-play uh users okay and i on top of that i think i've played maybe that was about three hours as we said earlier in the episode yeah uh and i think i have added maybe an hour or two on top of that i think two nights ago uh that's when i start to use it with the controller so all of that was done first remember uh, mobile uh, mobile mouse and keyboard then i moved to the controller and i've played a bit of destiny a couple of campaigns on top of that um it's weird um that's not the type of game i uh i'm drawn to um i do see one one of the things you, you told me that you liked is hey there's no story it's just there to shoot people shoot at people i was like okay that's true that that is an element i can get behind i think with the five hours play time i've done on destiny is like you know what i can get to that uh the kind of lack of story of the complex story that there is like i'm not sure i understood any of it and i think that's part of the experience from what you've told me it's Uh, weird and like so as a returning player i haven't played in two years right so uh as a returning player my experience as a returning player was also very confusing um so the reason your story is confusing is that effectively, as of this year, they deleted the entire first year of Destiny 2's content from the game. And mm. they replaced it with what we played, which is like a mini digested version of Destiny 1, which had a terrible story. Uh, so it's <laughs> normal that it's still terrible because it's the same thing. It, and like reviews, it, there's a reason Destiny 1 was a 6 out of 10 game. It's because people were like, they hyped this shit up and the story is this bad. And I was like, yep, because people aren't playing it for the story. Um, so... And the other thing is because of the whole seasonal model, the story of the game evolves every three months. And that means that whoever the bad guy is changes every three months or mm. and all that stuff, which means your introductory campaign can't actually contain anything substantial because you don't know what season you're in. 
and you don't want to have to redo it every season. Right. So that's why like the three hours we played made almost no sense. And it was just like the high level overview is this guy crashed on the planet. You rescued him. Then he went off and did something else and he gave you a sparrow. And then he was like, go run this strike. And like, that's the story. And that's like, what the fuck is this story? And like, that's the main campaign for the opening of the free to play thing. And like, I haven't played much of the rest of uh, like, they've done significant changes to the year two content as well, which is in the Tangled Shore. I don't know if you played any of that. Mm, That's a good question. I'm still all lost with the names in the region and all that fun stuff. Okay, well, it, okay, probably not then. Um, but like they they gradually introduce like story relevant characters uh, to whatever is happening right now, or at least for the moment, that's how it is. Like I don't know in three months if this is going to be still true. Mm-hmm. Um, and they try to catch people up to whatever is happening. Now, the thing that's fucked up for me is, again, like I said, two years without playing. So I boot into the game. I get kicked straight into the mission, the introductory mission for the latest expansion that I do not own. So I'm like, how the fuck does this work? Uh, I don't know any of the story that has happened since the two years ago when I last played. But I know from YouTube that things are very different in like the bad guy is completely different and everything. I have no idea what anyone is talking about. I'm like, I, I at least give me like a cutscene that you like, you notice I've not played for two years and tell me here's what happened when you were not paying attention to destiny. Nope. None of that. You just get dropped right in and like, go kill these guys on this planet where are these ships that you've never seen before that are supposed to be very important, but you don't know that. And it's like, hmm, okay. Uh, so there's that. And then I think after that, it forced me to do another introductory quest for the currently active season of gameplay, which is disconnected from the expansion. And so I, again, once again, I'm dropped into this other side story without any context for what the fuck is going on. And I'm like, you have to finish this to actually be able to do anything in the game. And I'm like, what kind of experience is this? So the returning experience as a long time Destiny player was terrible. And I was more confused than anything else. Once I got through that, those introductory missions, which are like, I know why they exist. They exist because they show you a buy this now image at the end of the thing. (laughs) Like that is literally the only reason they exist. But it's like, you're not going to get me to buy it if you don't tell me why I should care about literally anything that's happening in these missions. And you know what? To to go back to my perspective on like, and I like story based game and blah, blah, blah. Like I've, I've played in the past, in the recent history and even in this podcast history, I think, Games that the goal is you shoot people and or shoot things and that's it, right? I think. Uh, why am I blinking on the name now? But uh, well, all the battle royale games are like that, right? But the one we played, uh, we did a live stream. Wow, oh, shit! I had the name in my head literally three seconds ago. Um, oh, the division. The division. Yes, thank you. Which is very close to Destiny One structure wise. Yeah, but I kind of okay. The story was. I mean, I didn't like the story, but it was better written than Destiny 1. Right. And the story was weak, but just like kind of its plotline was well done enough, was like strong enough and well conceived in the game that I felt that it kind of tipped off my 
part of what I enjoy in the video games just enough to be like, okay, I know this is a shooting game and the goal is just to shoot that things and for this one is bad people, but let's not go too much into that. Uh, but it's enough to say, okay, yes, there's a story to motivate me, especially for the, the, the single player campaign. But then in the end, it's like, you know what? Like, okay, yes, you, you found the bad guy, the bad guy left, blah, blah, blah. No big spoiler there. Like, if you listen to episodes already there. Uh, but it's like, hey, the world is shit. So you still like, bad thing that will happen it is this is literally the the post campaign world right it's like you continue to do small events throughout the city that is like protect the city and that made sense what i realized with this is like yeah i'm going to talk to this person who are they i don't know they tell me to do one thing okay i'll go do their quest and that to me was like i was i really needed to motivate myself to be like yeah okay i'll, I'll do what they say what is the purpose of me doing that don't really know but well, I'll do it. To bring it back to our good pals at Ubisoft, it feels like a Ubisoft game where it's like, here are a bunch of checkboxes you can check. We're going to let you check them, but we're not going to make you care about why you check them, really. Right. Um, right. And I think the gameplay loop that I really liked in Destiny 1 and, I mean, to some extent, Fantasy Star Online, which Destiny is basically just the Western first-person shooter version of Fantasy Star Online, is you have, like, these six or seven maps, which are, like, relatively big worlds that you can explore through. You are going to have a number of missions on these maps that you are going to be able to do for various kinds of rewards. And the main thing is that shooting people in this game, especially on controller, is incredibly satisfying. And you get, uh, every time you kill enemy, you get a random chance of getting better armor, better weapons to drop. And then, like, the excitement of getting those weapons is what motivates you to go forward, not whatever the hell is happening in the universe. Right. And that, to me, usually, I always, like, I'm not the best at doing, like, a sheet to make sure that I optimize which equipment I should have. I always get lost into this. Yeah. And I realized quite quickly that, like, I would, like... I think the the new player experience kind of like into you like okay you'll get a better gun you'll get a better armor you get a better helmet but then I quickly realized that then there's another layer on top of that and, and like, they've oh, added more since I stopped playing Destiny Two like Destiny Two was actually like the launch Destiny Two was a complete reset from Destiny One where basically all of the depth in the game was completely removed they were trying to make Destiny Two for people like you. They were making a story-based game, and all of the grindy systems that people had grown to enjoy about Destiny 1 were gone, and I felt nothing playing that game. And I think you would probably have enjoyed that game more than me, because it was very based around telling a cinematic story, and I think it was relatively well-written and made a lot more sense than whatever the hell you played. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Like if you if you had played launch Destiny two, you probably would have a positive experience of Destiny. It's just like it was not the game Destiny fans wanted to play, right? So they more or less patched back Destiny two into what people liked from Destiny one. Yeah, the first two years was just like, okay, we reverted everything back to Destiny one, and then the last year and a half has been we are layering on more complicated systems on top of this to the point where even I don't know what's going on anymore, and like. Uh, Luckily, they are still designing the game in such a way that you can probably play everything and not have to care about the higher levels of 
layers of systems on top of that. Like weapon and armor mods, I have never engaged with them in the last two years. They've completely redone those systems and it's gotten so complicated that I don't even understand where to begin. Mm-hmm. Uh it, like I just pretend that doesn't exist and it doesn't bother me in one way at all because none of the content assumes that I know how those systems work, which is good to some extent, but also it feels like they wasted their time on those systems because they don't actually really, you don't need them to beat the game. You just, you just clear stuff faster if you have it, you know? One thing I forgot to mention, uh, to ask you is, do you end up in certain modes or quests that uh, you end up into PvP? Or it's always quests where you need to shoot at, like, uh, at just at random things that shows up? So it depends. There's, like, more or less there's half the game that is PvE and half the game that's PvP. So there's, okay. like, standard PvP, which is just, like, you go into a map, it's unranked, it's just more or less for fun you kill people and you control zones and that's the main pvp mode Mm -hmm. then there's competitive which is a more competitive mode which imitates more esportsy games in how it plays then there's trials of osiris which is every weekend it is a special event that you can compete in with all of the other people on the on the game and basically it's you play the same mode as in competitive but you try to win 7 games in a row uh and not lose more than 3 and if you win 7 games in a row and lose no games you go to the lighthouse which is a special building that has a special chest that you can open with exclusive loot that only those people can have and it's only cosmetically different from the ones that you would get normally by playing mm-hmm. in this event because otherwise it's it causes a bunch of problems for game yeah, balance that would, yeah it would be a bit unfair yeah so those are sort of the activities that you have on the PVP side and there are entire quests that depend on kill this many players in uh in the crucible or uh use void weapons on 15 different uh things like that and Mm. like different kinds of weapons are going to be blocked by different kinds of things um recently they've gotten a little bit better where uh certain quests like every every season there's a pinnacle weapon which is like the main weapon you're trying to chase for the season and you can choose, oh, I want to engage with strikes. I want to engage with PvP. I want to engage with Gambit, which is sort of a fusion of PvP and PvE, uh, which is a, a mode that I have spent way too many hours in. Uh, and you basically get to choose which one of those three modes you want to grind for that weapon in. And then your quest becomes dependent on playing that activity, uh, which is a recent change. So to some degree, you have like the flexibility of doing it how you want. But sometimes it's non-negotiable. You have to go into PvP. Okay. Because, yeah, at first, from the few hours I played, like it was a lot of PvE, which I enjoyed quite greatly. Uh, again, the mission were a bit weird. Like you go, like, I think one of the one I played, uh, not with you, was you go talk to somebody at the top of a church, and they're like, yeah, go do this. And then I was like, do what? And then realize, oh, it's because you need to find in that area the lost section they call it lost sector yeah lost sectors yes and it's like okay you go and then yeah there's a loot because you've cleaned it up cleaned it up and then you go in another one and then you get and all of this is to get i think was a better gun and even it was challenging because i think in the last 
last sector. At the end, there was a boss that was quite hard, and I died a lot. So that was like it was for that part fun. I, I that's where I realized that oh okay, see what you meant by it's fun to shoot at things, mm-hmm. and it's fun to shoot at things that uh, are not like people that have spent a thousand hours just killing you for the fun of because I'm better at than that game than you. So I think that progression was nice. Um, that I didn't have to do. I was not required to do PvP first, so I get better at the game with those PvP that I felt they were quite hard. Although, um, I, I don't know if you know this, but the main PvP modes in Destiny, I think Trials is excluded from this if it's like Destiny 1. Uh, the main PvP modes in Destiny 2, power differences are disabled, which means it, like if you have the weapon, it performs as that weapon but like levels are neutral across all players so that it hmm. you can't grind like a million hours and then like just decimate everyone in the servers there are specific right. events when that is the case uh trials on weekends because it's the tryhard event for pvp tryhards and uh i think iron banner i don't know if iron banner in d2 is power uh power on or off but uh you specifically have to go out of your way to actually have levels matter in PvP. Otherwise, it's just like whoever aims the best and shoots generally like any other first-person shooter. Okay, no, that sounds good. That's good to know. Uh, Maybe last point I want to mention is I do think uh, that for the reminder of my Stadia Pro, I think I'll go once in every couple of days. Uh, I think I have more or less a week, 10 days remaining. And I think I'll continue to see what I enjoy. Uh, And again... I'm not. I'm unsure today if I would like to, like you, spend the SSD space on my PS4. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised that maybe, like, once every blue moon, uh, maybe I'll be like, "Hey, do you want to play it?" Or I know we talked a bit early today, like, "Hey," or in the early in the episode, like, maybe I could go back and play uh, Apex Legend because I felt that while it was good when I played alone, that it was also great when I played with you. Yeah, and was one a- one of the things they've done uh, in yeah the last two years is they've made it a lot easier to catch up because mm. previously what would happen is like let's say you played Destiny one for um, uh, for a while and uh, you played it like before the expansions came out and you were like oh wow I'm stuck at level uh 28 forever and i'm never going to be able to get anywhere higher than level 28 because this system is stupid and i need to get exactly this pair of boots (laughs) to be level 30 which was an actual thing uh really okay yeah um people didn't like that unsurprisingly uh so they dropped the game and then they came back like a year later and they were like oh the level cap goes up to 40 now and my power can go up to like 300 whereas it didn't before and now i need to spend 20 hours catching up and grinding Mm. to get to that level uh especially since they went free to play they were like oh yeah we can't do this anymore otherwise people stop playing for a season and then they can never come back to the game ever again uh so every season it becomes trivially easy to catch up to whatever the new season's level cap is uh, you can just play whatever and items will drop relatively frequently enough that you will be able to catch up to the cap. So that is good. And every year they reset all of the gear in your inventory to last season's level cap. So that's why everything in the game is 1050 when you boot up. It's because last season's level cap was 1050 and they were like, 
we're bumping the level cap by 200 this uh, for this expansion. So everyone starts at 1050 with all of their items patched up to 1050, no matter where it was before. Uh, okay, and then you start, that, that, like the last eye becomes the new bottom, more or less. Yeah, so it means even if you're a new player who starts from nothing, by the time you finish the new player campaign, you're going to be at about the same level as the people who just finished the new expansion campaign. And that means that you two can do endgame activities together. Mm. which is not a bad idea. I remember that, uh, especially like the last year of Destiny 2 that I played, it was really rough for that, where if you just like stopped playing a season and you came back, it was terrible. And uh, that's more or less what made me stop playing. And uh, this is a great improvement uh, in my eyes. And it helps you be a casual Destiny player more so than it was the case before. And I think Destiny 2 is probably better enjoyed as a casual game than as a hardcore game. Yeah, and I think that's where I wanted to conclude that is for me, what are like, I feel it's an okay game in my book. Okay. It's not the best game, but it's also not the game I'm looking for. But I think what we can see also from our previous video games episode is in the recent years, I start to more or less discover what people are saying is like, not casual, but social video gaming. Yeah. And I'm slowly but surely catching up to this. And Destiny was another way for me to catch up to this style of gaming. And I think it was a great format for me to catch up again, uh, the same way that Battle Royale was catching up on a video game, social playing. Destiny was too. So I, I can see that like casually I could like go back in, uh, uh, play with you a bit, uh, the same way I was playing a lot of, uh, Black Ops 4. Yeah, I yep. think it's Black Ops 4 Battle Royale with my brother, which is, as we've as I discussed, he's a big uh, COD player. So, lot he of things. He was playing like, last night. Yes, I'm not surprised. I am not surprised. Yeah, because sometimes, he, even recently, I'm like, I was kind of a bit tired of uh, Battle Royale. Not tired, I was like, not in the mood to play. And he was like, uh, every time we chat, he's like, oh, you want to play? I'm like, man, not today. So, but yeah. So, for that, I really enjoyed that aspect. Uh, but again, uh, I'm happy to hear that this game is better patched for my taping because I would like if that was hard to catch up. I was like, there's nothing fun about that social aspect. Even if my friends are way better than me, like I couldn't play with them. Which... I think they hit the perfect balance, which is going to sound strange considering I don't like Destiny Two, but uh, they they hit the perfect balance between like making the game accessible for casual players, which was something Destiny One definitely struggled with. And they wanted to get better with Destiny 2, and they sort of overcorrected for that. And now, now they're in a good place for that. And they also managed to have the levels of layers of systems and depth that people who play Destiny all day on stream need to actually not get bored of the game, which is incredibly hard problem to solve for. <laughs> but they seem to have done it, which is super impressive and i think john syracuse also has said this before like destiny is a fascinating game to watch just because like what are the problems they're trying to solve how do they solve it how does their community react to it and how do they deal with the community is just like a fascinating case study about gaming in general to observe from afar and i think that's mostly the role i'm taking right now is like observer from afar of this shit show um but They've hit a really good balance, if I'm being honest about that. It's just like, I think right now the the content they're putting in the game is not quite what I want, but that's different. 
I do feel that this overcorrection kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. And now, even if they're slowly, surely bringing it back and offering something that we like, you still go back to like, ah, oh, but man, my first experience was not so great, which would suck for a lot of people, I would assume. I think, well, one of the interesting things is when they announced Beyond Light, which is this year's expansion, they also announced the roadmap for the next two years of content, which they have never done before. Usually they wait until like two months before the new expansion to say anything about what they're shipping. Now they've sort of taken the opposite approach, which is like, here are the names of the expansions that are coming out in the next two years. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, so we know what direction the game is headed in for the future which is not something destiny fans have ever really had and i'm optimistic for what is coming in the future uh they seem to be on a good path and they seem to contrary to before have an idea where they're going (laughs) uh which like uh as a lost fan i think that's important (laughs) um so yeah i I guess we'll see in the coming years maybe they can win me back um but for now i'm just gonna grind on apex legends uh i do want to end this destiny 2 segment by actually like sort of combining this with the stadia topic and sort of giving my notes on how uh destiny 2 on stadia differs in gameplay to uh off stadia that's good let's end on that so high precision primary weapons like hand cannons scout rifles and bows where you are rewarded for hitting your headshots are surprise unsurprisingly much much worse uh you need to get your headshots to get reasonable damage with these weapons, and you are not going to get your headshots in Stadia, or at least much less than you would at any other time. Uh, on controller, you do benefit from added aim assist, but I don't think mouse and keyboard players on Destiny 2 on Stadia have added aim assist to compensate for the lag, which is too bad. Pulse rifles and auto rifles are very good mid-range primaries, uh, with pulse rifles probably being the most forgiving weapons in the entire game. Uh, I'll get back to that in a little bit. If you're dealing with close range, uh, enemies at close range, sidearms and submachine guns are very good at close range, and I'm pretty sure they buffed submachine guns significantly since I last played because they used to be completely worthless and now they are great. Uh... Special weapons, aside from snipers, are all good because they deal high damage with low precision requirements. Uh, I really like fusion rifles, uh, which are the ones that you charge up for a while and then they let out a big burst of damage. Uh, Those are pretty good. Uh, Like I mentioned, for basically every enemy type except for the Vex, headshots and crit damage are much higher, uh, harder to pull off. And... This actually changes significantly how you're going to value different weapon and armor perks. Uh, so anything, of course, that rewards you for precision damage becomes less valuable. The big exception to this is Headseeker. So Headseeker is a pulse that you can get, uh, is a perk that you can get on pulse rifles. And basically what it means is if you hit a body shot, your next headshot is going to be worth much more than it would normally. Uh, and because your aim is always going to be impacted by lag on Stadia to some degree, uh, Headseeker becomes incredibly valuable because it actually boosts your damage uh, if you miss headshots, which is kind of strange. You might think that is broken. And yeah, it's probably one of the better perks in on Stadia, uh, though I will say there are only right now two weapons in the entire game that can drop with Headseeker, and I good luck finding him (laughs) like if you can get it that's great but good luck um otherwise like if you're planning a specific character build you're probably going to want to build around getting extra damage in roundabout ways 
So I know, uh, I know from watching YouTube videos, but not from firsthand uh, experience, that there are these things called warmind cells, which are little balls that can drop out of. I don't even remember where they drop out, but they're orange balls that can basically like drop on the play field. And if you shoot them, they explode and they create a bomb. That can be a great way to get extra damage without depending on precision damage that can basically compensate for the lack of damage multiplier you're getting from precision damage. Uh, So that is like my high level meta analysis of what the weapon sandbox is like uh, if you're playing through Stadia relative to uh, any other service oh yeah another thing i want to mention briefly but this is much less important is um, geforce now had this special feature for mouse tracking where if you had a custom cursor in your game um, it would be rendered locally on your machine which meant that your cursor was never impacted by lag uh, so if you were on the map screen for example and you were moving your little reticle around like that was drawn locally not on the game itself Mm. and that meant that you actually felt like your mouse movement was smooth and responsive whereas on stadia you definitely notice the input latency uh that is more or less the only significant difference that i noticed in terms of responsiveness in uh destiny 2 playing it on stadia versus geforce now uh, but the graphics looked significantly better on Stadia than they did on GeForce Now because on GeForce Now I was often dealing with lower bit rates and resolution than I was in Stadia. In Stadia, the I was more consistently getting higher resolution, higher bit rate, so things looked much cleaner. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's not significantly different than what I was getting on GeForce Now. Good, that's good to hear. Um... Yeah, so I guess this uh this summarizes a whole experience with uh, Google Stadia. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, that it would uh, make you curious about those streaming services because, uh, again, I'm not saying they will be the future of video gaming, but uh, I think they offer a good perspective of where we could go uh, and and to bring some of like of those like a lot of the streaming services we use for movies and TVs bring to games and using this uh, same technical architecture. Uh, so I'm eager to see where they're all they'll all be going. And as I mentioned a lot, I also have a lot of homework to do uh, <laughs> post my exploration of Stadia, and that's quite fun. Like really, it's a good uh, these days for me. It's a good uh, video games a good diversion, and that's why we'll talk about it next episode. But. Uh, me playing video games this year has been uh, up, full of ups and downs, so I'm happy to be back on the upswing. I think we're going to have to have a moratorium on gaming episodes for a while after the Game of the Year episode. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so let's wrap it up, Yannick. All right, so you can find the show notes for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 150, or you can find the full library of episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can also find the About and Subscribe page that I mentioned two hours ago uh, on that website. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Please send us your games of the year for our episode in two weeks. Uh, I forgot to mention it at the top of the show. Uh, you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find the of you at Lucanoche, that's L-U-L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. Oh, wow, that was hard to say after two hours. And I'm going to shock everyone. 
before we go to <laughs> and end the episode by saying there is a Naughty Dog game on my game of the year list. Ooh. And we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> see you in two weeks.